You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. Oh. <laughs> And welcome to the 4th Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 282 of the Big Show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing out there? The Wild Wednesday. Almost there, folks. The weekend's around the corner. Um, how's everybody doing? Thank you very much for tuning in. Got a special guest today. That's right. You finally, you won't have to listen to me drone on and on uh, for hours. But uh, no, today's uh, guest is Shane Belter. Former Western Hockey League player, uh, played pro with the Providence Bruins, played in the East Coast League. Um, he's just a lot of fun to talk to. And actually, uh, you know, Shane also has a podcast, that the Monday Nooner, and um, uh, and they've had great guests on their show. And I mean, obviously around here, you know, we're kind of obviously, as I always say, we're enforcer based, so uh, you know, we're always sort of looking for toughness. But uh, and they've had a ton of tough guys in their show. Uh, you know, Kimball and Grimson and Twist and, and Wade Brookbank and Rogers and, and on and on. So, uh, definitely check out their show. But the one thing I dig about their show, um, is they really focus on, um, the Saskatchewan, uh, senior hockey, uh, scene and, uh, which is, which is big here in Saskatchewan. And, uh, Shane and I touch on it at the back end of the interview here, but, um, and, uh, I've talked to a few, a few folks out there, um, that I, that are really involved in the, in the, uh, senior hockey scene around here. And, uh, I'd like to get them on and, and just, um, and just discuss it. And, and Shane and I, and we talk about it briefly on, on here, but, um, the thing with, I think sometimes when you say senior hockey, I think some people put it in their head like, oh, like you mean rec hockey where you just drop in and it's like, no, 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 this is, these guys are good. And I mean, yeah, everybody has to get up and go to work the next day, but these guys are hitting and there's, you know, there's some tilts and it's small town versus small town. And, and it's a lot of pride on the line. And in Saskatchewan, senior hockey is a big deal. And, um, and there's like a bunch of leagues. Like I don't even, I I think Shane says a hundred and some senior teams. So. 
you know, you do the math. How many leagues is that, right? Um, and it's not, you know, obviously across Canada, I mean, Alberta, Manitoba, everyone's got their senior scene. So, um, you know, and I've, and I've had a couple guys on from Alberta that, you know, their senior hockey, uh, real strong there too. And, um, you know, so, and they used to play, the Allen Cup was a big deal back in the day. Um, like, I mean, it was around longer than the Stanley Cup, I think. And that was like, that was the Stanley Cup for senior hockey. And, um, um, Shane is kind of tough. Like, I, I don't keep up to date with the senior scene. I mean, I know about it and I, you know, now and again, but, um, you know, I'm not immersed in it like these guys. Um, so I'm far from an expert, but, um, apparently the senior, uh, the Allen Cup has sort of been, um, I don't know if it's been kind of put on hold or it's not as, um, kind of a big deal as it used to be. Uh, you know, just, I'm, I'm sure with the pandemic and everything that happened, um, you know, and, and, and money, cause senior high, it's expensive. Um, you know, I'm sure things have obviously slowing down, but, um, but Shane, I won't, we talk about it, the thing, but he came, I, I really like his idea and I really hope that happens because that, that would be really cool. I'll let you guys listen to the show and, and find out what we're talking about. But, uh, no, great guest. Um, you know, he admits in the episode, you know, like, you know, I have, I have fighters on. I wasn't really a fighter. He didn't really enjoy it. But, uh, back then, I mean, you know, you know, you played physical and stuff, fights were going to happen. And, uh, and, you know, Shane got into a few for, without a doubt. And, uh, and if you want to see them, I've, I've got a bunch of my YouTube channel, Fourth Line Voice. Um, you know, he, he's a lot better than he gives himself credit for. I'll, I'll say that right now. Uh, you know, he, he's pretty good. Um, but, uh, no, a lot of fun. He played with a lot of tough guys as well. We talk about all of that stuff. You know, regular listeners, you guys know what's going on here. We, uh, timeline his career. And of course, he played the Memorial Cup with the Lethbridge Hurricanes. And, uh, we tell some stories about that. And, uh, just in general, it was about, I think we go for about an hour and a half and it, just a real fun conversation. Good dude. And, uh, definitely, hopefully will not be the last time I have him on. And, uh, and like I said, if you could support, uh, the Monday Nooner as well, that would be great. Check out them. I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, but, but, um, I won't talk very long because people didn't tune in to listen to me. Um, you know, obviously I just got to, uh, you know, talk about a few of the boys that support the show and, uh, support them if you can. Um, Joe over the Nordiques Knuckles podcast. He's rolling along. Of course, he has part three with Dave Marcinition. Uh, Jordan at the five, five and a game podcast. Um, he's, he's rolling along, throwing out episode after episode, uh, doing a great job. His latest episode is, uh, uh, I believe it's the top 10 goalie fights. Um, and, and uh, from the queue. So definitely, uh, checked out. He's a Quebec junior, um, league sort of centered podcast. And, uh, yeah, and then he's new. He's a new, newest show on the network. He just started out. So yeah, support Jordan. I, that it, it'd be, uh, much appreciated. And then, uh, last but not least, it, uh, it's come to an end. The, the five for fighting podcast. My boy Alec there, he, uh, he decided to retire. He's, uh, hung up his headphones and shut off his microphone. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad. I mean, I completely understand it. I mean, Alec and I talk all the time. And so I really wasn't surprised by when he, when he told me, but, uh, you know, because work, I mean, he has a two hour job, job sites, two, three hours away from work or from home every day. And I mean, it's just been a real battle. And, um, and it's one of those things it, it's, you know, he's had the battles with the East Coast League and, and trying to find guests. I mean, Everybody that listens to this show, I've ranted and raved about that enough times. And he was in the same boat. And uh, and we often talked about it. And uh, 
Yeah, so I mean, I completely understand his frustration, and it was one of those things at the end of the day when um, it's when it's not fun anymore, or you're actually literally dreading turning on the microphone. Um, yeah, it's time to uh, time to call it quits, and and he did. And uh, I mean, like I said, I talk to Alec like every day. We text back and forth, and right, you see this clown, ha ha, you know, whatever. And we're always messing around. So, um, and I mean, he's been on my show a bunch of times. He'll, I'll get him on all the time. He'll, we'll, I'll get him on here, um, you know. But um, yeah, it's too bad. Um, but the one thing you can take away is he has a great back catalog. He 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 put out a lot of great stuff. Frank Bialois, Mike Segroy, Rob Ray interviews, on and on. And, uh, and, and it's cool that in the fact that, I mean, even though he's not continuing on with the show, um, it's the internet and the show will be out there forever and that content will be out there forever. So, um, yeah, he did a great job. Um, I'm going to miss listening to his show, but, uh, I completely understand his, uh, his decision and, and all things must come to an end at some point. I mean, you know, I mean, this show is, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm obviously not going to do this forever. No one does. So, um, yeah, but I'm going to miss this show. Alec did a great job and, um, yeah, it, uh, but like I said, I'll, I will certainly, uh, certainly have him on my show a number of times. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, he just put out the kind of the final, the retirement episode, if you will. And, uh, I wish him well. And, um, yeah, and it's strange. It's one of those things, I, I guess with the internet and just, you know, in just doing this and everything else, um, even though you, you, you've never met people face to face, you consider them your friends, some people. And Alec is one of those people. Um, I've, there's a, I have a bunch of guys that, uh, that I've met through the fight group and through doing this podcast and that type of thing. And, uh, yeah, I do consider them my friends, even though we've never met face to face. It's, um, yeah, I mean, we talk all the time. Alec and I are constantly texting each other, just, you know, ripping on people or just, you know, making fun of shit and, just talk, talking actually pretty much everything but podcasting most of the time. And, uh, yeah, and, and uh, that'll continue, obviously. And, uh, and like I said, I'll certainly have him on and Jay and the rest of the misfits. I'll get them on Dr. Chris and the crew. Um, but yeah, all those guys, like, like I said, I consider them my friends and, um, yeah. And, uh, and like I said, from a selfish standpoint, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to miss this show, but, uh, at the same time, like I said, I completely understand it. And, uh, Thanks, man. You, you did a great job and it was fun to listen to. And, and you took up, uh, you filled up some, definitely some hours of, of uh, at work listening to your show. So, uh, no, I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, like I said, well, he, you haven't heard the last of them. I'll definitely have them on my show. But, um, yeah, so that, that's what's going on in the world of podcasting. Um, other than that, folks, uh, you know, uh, oh, and I, and it was brought up to me, and it's been brought up a couple times with uh, with the sponsors and stuff, and they're like, oh, well, now you have another ad in there. Well, that's what pays the bills, folks. Um, most podcasts that you're listening to, if they're sponsored, obviously they have they have ad reads during their show. I, you know, it's one of those things. It's like commercials during the TV show. Um, you know, but um, you know, we have a new sponsor here with, with Raycon, and as well as obviously our DraftKings. Uh, our sponsorship and, and it's a big deal to the, to the network. And it's a big deal to myself in terms of, well, I'm not going to lie. That's how we get paid. And, uh, you know, and, and so it has to obviously be in the show. I'm sorry. Uh, like I said, I had a couple people kind of complaining to me about it, but I mean, that's just, you know, that's the way it is. I mean, at the end of the day, they're 42nd ad spots. I mean, 
you know, I, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think we could, I think people could sit through them. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's not that bad, but, uh, at the end of the day, that's what key, I was going to say, that's what always keeps the lights on at the office. Right. So, um, but the big thing is, um, I, and I encourage, and I, this is, I, I, you know, I'm trying to be, uh, you know, the, the, the salesman here, but at the same time, instead of just, you know, skipping over the ads or whatever, uh, I mean, if you, if, if you could use the products, that would be great or use the promo code. If you're going to, if you're going to be, I know a lot of people listening do sports betting. And of course with the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday and stuff, why not use the, the DraftKings, uh, promo code when you, when you sign in? It's a free $200. It's like, really is when you sign up, just, you know, read the details and, and, uh, and by using that promo code, it helps us out. And the same with Raycon. I mean, every, everyone has earbuds these days and the Raycon is, you know, pretty solid product and again you get 15 percent off if you use the use the promo code i mean 15 percent is 15 percent you know anytime you can save money it's like you know I, again it's just like you know trying trying to help folks out right and 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 put some money back like the, the promos are really good so i mean um you know and, and reputable companies and i mean i'm not i'm not out here hawking snake oil so um yeah so, I mean, again, I just wanted to address that real quick. I mean, the, yeah, from here on out. Well, I mean, there's been DraftKings ads, ad reads in my show since I started. So on the network and, uh, you know, that's not going away. So, um, yeah, for those that were kind of asking about the ads or can kind of complaining about them. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's what, like I said, that's what, uh, that's what comes with sponsorship. Right. So, and if we want to, uh, you know, receive money obviously we need folks using the promo codes and uh and we have to promote them so that is that that is the way it goes so i'm sorry to those that uh are mad about it but like i said it's it's literally uh, a minute and 40 seconds out of a two and a half hour podcast so um bear with me please so that's just that's what needs to be done but uh all right enough of my yammering about that but i just wanted to address that because it's come up a couple times so um, anyway, folks, how about we get into it? Great interview with Shane Belter. I think you guys will really enjoy it. And uh, I'll talk to you cats on Sunday. Thanks, everybody. All right, here on the Fourth Line Voice, we've got a special guest tonight, Shane Belter. Shane, how are you doing tonight? Hey, buddy. Good. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Um, well, like I was telling you in the, in the text there, we're kind of going to Timeline your career, go through it, uh, Western League to the pros, and uh, well, I guess we got to start at the beginning. Where were you born and raised, and where did you play your minor hockey? Swifty, man, yeah, Swift Current, uh, born and raised, local guy there, and yeah, mom and dad, they, they work, my dad actually worked for the Department of Highways, and mom worked at the bank, so pretty, <laughs> kind of a pretty standard childhood growing up, and uh, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't no spring hockey when I played, there was no extra stuff you know the boys went out the outdoor rink and uh you know i was this fat kid growing up and <laughs> in swifty and i you know you'd have told me back then that i was going to play pro hockey i mean i'm sure everyone in the whole city would have laughed at you but uh but yeah i got lucky and and come out of there come out of come out of minor hockey and uh ended up ended up getting enlisted by the broncos there in swift current in the dub and uh and played started playing my uh my western league career right there in swift current 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, I've had a lot of guys on from the, that, you know, former Western League guys. And, and most guys, of course, you know, they get drafted or whatever, Bantam drafter. Uh, I mean, they're leaving home, right? Some guys, hell, they're leaving right. the country. They're going down to the States sometimes, um, which, of course, we right. ended up doing. Um, how do you think that was, um, like, did you think that was a lot? Because going into junior hockey, obviously, is a major step, a lot of, you know, to begin with. But at least you, you, you got to do it at home. Do you think that was a benefit or a hindrance? Um, for me, I mean, probably was, I mean, it's two sides this, right? Like for me, I think it was maybe a little bit of a hindrance. And the reason was is, is it was different back when I played, right? So you played Bantam when you're 14 and 15, yeah. and then you come out of Bantam and you're 16. So I actually got listed really early. I, I, I got listed. I got protected before the Bantam draft, so I couldn't even get taken in the Bantam draft. So I took up a bunch of spots. Like, I don't really know how it worked back then, but I went in and started playing when I was 16 um, for the Broncos, living at home, hometown. I mean, I don't know if there's a ton of pressure. I may put more pressure on myself than there was on me to play because, I mean, I, I was 16. I didn't play a whole ton when I was there, and I was up and down between the Legionnaires and the Broncos uh, that year. And then my 17-year-old year, same type of thing. Like there's a coaching change. I mean, all, my, my first year when I was 16, I played for Graham James. Right. So, but people have asked me this question so many times, but like living at home, I, I mean, I had a girlfriend there. I was in, I was in high school there. I'd been there my whole life. He, he left me alone. Right. I wasn't this vulnerable kid. Yeah. So I never got, he never really, he never really talked to me. Never really, you know, engaged with me at all. And uh, then, then all that kind of stuff come out years later. But the next year, Todd McClellan took over, and he was coaching there, and good coach. But it was different. It was a big adjustment being a young kid in town, and you got a guy like that coming in who puts a lot of pressure on you, and it was uh, it was different. I mean, for me, I felt when I left there at 18 and I went to Seattle, I felt like my career really, really took off a little bit. I had a little bit more freedom. I was away from home, and I had to figure shit out on my own, right? And And I did that, so... Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, well, just to kind of, before we kind of leave Swift Current, um, you know, a, yeah. a couple names that you played with, uh, yeah, we, you know, and the Graham James stuff, like you said, that's, um, I mean, I don't think everybody knows that story. We don't need to go into that, but, yeah. uh, um, as, as far as, uh, like you said, that following year, um, <laughs> one of the guys, I, he's a, he's a favorite of mine and a lot of the, a lot of my listeners, uh, you know, love him is of course, uh, Willie. Tyler Willis. What was it like playing with him? Yeah. You no, know, Willie was a beauty. He was, uh, you know, I, I, I played with him there, and I played with him a little bit in Seattle as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Willie was just, he was tough, man. He was just this little firecracker. He had, like, one ounce of body fat on him, and he was crazy. I mean, he'd fight anybody at, at any given time. Pound for pound, and I've said this before. I mean, I said this on our show. Pound for pound, He's got to be one of the toughest guys I ever played with or around in junior and or pro. So I'll give him that, man. The kid, he he was a killer back then. Yeah, and uh, well, and another guy, of course, that uh, uh, went on to have a long pro career, and um, yeah, well, and you played with him in pro as well uh, with Keith McCambridge. Mac, yeah, big Mac. He was. Uh, you know, and we, we talked before the show, and, I, and I'll say this: we actually interviewed we actually interviewed Keith on our show, and he's coaching in the game, and his interview was so vanilla in our show that we couldn't even release it. Like it was so, <laughs> so vanilla, right? But that's not the way Mac was. Mac was an absolute beauty. I mean, 
tough as nails. Yeah. Um, and, and the funny thing was, is I was quite young when, when he was there and he got traded to Kamloops when they won the Mem Cup that year. So I didn't engage with Mac a whole ton in Swift. Me and him actually become quite close. Uh, we played pro together. We yeah. uh, we hung out and, and drank lots of red wine together and stuff uh, in Providence and become really we become really good friends in Providence. Yeah, he uh, yeah um, yeah. Oh, the, the vanilla guests. Yes, we we won't get into that. But uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, another guy. Well, I was asking you a text uh, a couple of days ago, and I said, yeah. when we were, yeah. when, we were uh, when we were setting it up, um, Arbez. Derek Arbez. Arby. Yeah. How tough was so that? Funny dude? story about Arby. Funny story about Arby. So I'm going to camp, right? And I, I mean, I guess at the time, I, I mean, the funny thing is, is even when this show gets released, I know I'm going to get japped by Boz and these guys because I told Bozzy I was coming on here tonight and he's like, I thought he only had tough guys on, right? Like he's japping me already. And really, <laughs> I wasn't a real. I wasn't, I, throughout my career, I really wasn't a tough guy. I hated it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't like it at all. Some guys loved it, right? And I wasn't a giant fan of it. But back then, <clears throat> in, in the late 90s, you had to do it, right? You had yeah. to, at some point, you had to engage, you had to fight, you had to, you had to stick up for yourself. And going into CAP, I was kind of known as, as maybe a little bit of a tougher kid. I fought lots in Bantam. I held my own. And going into CAP, Doug Moser at the time was the, the GM of Swift Current. And he tells me that they bring in this, this tough guy, this Derek Arbez. He's a tough guy. <clears throat> so they, they make us play against each other, obviously. That's just the way it was back in junior. Yeah. And like the very first, uh, the very first, you know, scrimmage or whatever, we're against each other. He knows who I am. I know who he is. And we, we square up and we, we go at her pretty good. It was a good little tilt. But I remember that it was probably the first time maybe in my career where I got hit in the face really hard. And like right in the eye, like right in my eye, gave me a black eye and stuff. And I'll, I'll never forget that. It was one of those things where I was like, God, I did not like that. Really, it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest thing. But went again. I, I, we went again, and then that was kind of it uh, for that. But you know, I, I held my own. I stuck up for myself and, and did okay. But the RB was pretty tough kid back uh, back when we played in, in in that area. But we were just very different players, right? Me and RB, but. Yeah, tough kid for sure. He he did his job well when he was in Swift. That's for sure. They they loved him there. Yeah, well, actually, I should have led with that question first. I mean, when when we talk the fighting and stuff. Yeah, coming out of like, um, I guess it would be Bantam in your case at your age. Um, did I mean you've obviously been in Swift? You probably obviously been to Bronco games since you were a kid. So I mean, you knew yeah. what, what was happening. You knew what was going down. Oh and, yeah, that there'd be fighting in camp and everything else. Did you do anything to get ready for that, or was it more like I'm not going to do that? No, I I didn't. I didn't, I, I knew I was going to do it. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't do much to get ready for it. And and I mean, once we get into this a little bit, it's just I was young and I had nobody to show me or teach me back then I was kind of a, I was kind of on my own. Right. So my big thing was, you know, I was, I, I threw, I threw rights and my big thing was get in, get a hold of that, get a hold of their right arm. And hopefully they're not a lefty. Right. <laughs> that, was kind yeah. of, that was kind of all the preparation I, I had back then and, and try to protect myself. Right. So I'd seen it lots. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Mark McFarland, right. Perfect example. Back in the day, he was my, my favorite player. He scrapped all the time when we were, Yep. Or when he was a swifter. So big, big, I, I, you know, I'd watch those guys. I watch those guys fight and stuff and, and I'd pick up stuff from that, but that's all I had for prep, man. I just, uh, I wasn't like when I got to pro and I, and I, you know, 
got taught by some of these guys on on how to do it. But by that time in my career, I was like, screw this. I'm not tough enough to be doing this type of stuff anymore. Well, I'm going to say, I, you're, you're being fairly modest because I have your Seattle footage when you fight in Seattle, <laughs> and you do pretty good. It's not like you're getting pummeled. So you had some skills anyway. I'll, I'll give you that. Well, well, we're on, I got you on yeah. the show, well, so, I was fit- so the boys don't not rail on you too hard. It's on my YouTube channel if you well, want to go was, watch some of his fights. I think, I think maybe I was just big enough and strong enough that I could hold my own back then. Well, I got I got a quote from a guy. I told him you were coming on, and I'll save that for you. But I'll let you know as we go on here what he said. But um, one last name before we leave, and I had him on the show. Great guest. Um, I was a big fan of him, uh, obviously in junior. But then, of course, he went on to the crazy LNEH and played with the Laval Chiefs with Jesse Rosanzoff. And um, the sauce. Yeah, that, he's a tough dude, man. You know what? Zanzoff's a killer, man. I, yeah. you know, funny. I just talked to him last week. You know, uh, with with Ryan Pizak passing away. You know, rest in peace, Tim Swifty boy. And I, and I know you you followed that. Yeah. Um. So me and him chatted last week about that. And I actually work. I actually work with Jesse's sister as well. So small world. Um. Great family. Great people. Jesse was a good guy. You know, some guys. Jesse was just a good guy, right? Like he. Some of those guys aren't, and I'm sure you've heard that from people. Like, say, this guy's an asshole. This guy's a piece of shit. Blah 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 blah. Yep. The sauce was a good guy. I guess he was a he was a good good person. He liked to get at her, liked to guzzle, and uh, but 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 all in all, he was a good dude, right? His heart was always in the right place. But tough man, he was tough. I never I never had to fight Jesse. Thank God. Like he'd have probably throttled me. He was a giant, and those big long arms. But I remember playing against him when he was in Regina too, and uh, yeah, just a beast. But we played against each other in pro too, and you know, this type of guy where we—I <clears throat> remember playing pro against him, and we played. I think it was in the coast, and he was playing. Oh, I can't remember where he was even playing. I think I was in Greenville at the time. He might have been in Augusta, and you know, went up, played him. We met up, and uh, and went out for supper, and just type of guy Jesse was. But tough as nails. But I, I fortunately enough, never had to fight him. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, he was in Augusta along with Willis Galbraith and Trevor Gillies. Yeah, tough, tough team they had. I remember that squad. I was going to say, how, how about rolling into that town on a on a bus trip? That's good times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 real fun, real fun. Well, I was going to say before we get off, um, of course, we, we talked about the, uh, if anybody has gone back and listened to my Rosanzoff interview, he talks about an incident that he had with Ryan Pisiak in the parking lot. Uh, they had a five-minute parking lot brawl in, I believe, in Swift Current. Um, I was there. Yeah, well, I was gonna say, and apparently you were, uh, you were, you were linesman for the event. I was referee, man. Yeah, and, and I've had lots of people ask me this story's kind of come up more in the past week with with Pease passing away. But um, yeah, like he was like, well, who, whose team were you on? Like Team Pease, Peters. I was like, hey, I was like the ref, man. These guys were both my buddies, and I was just like, I couldn't believe it. These guys are both, and this stuff, like again. Nowadays, this would never happen, right? These guys would be under contract. This would never happen. But even being under contract back then, they got at her, man. Like, it was insanity. We're in the bar, and all of a sudden, they're like, hey, we're going outside. We're doing this outside. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. In the parking lot, and it was a tilly of all tillies. These guys just went, and there was no, 
There was no ducking. There was no nothing. It was just grab on and just punch each other in the face as hard as you can for five minutes and see who could stand up. And that's the way it went. It went down like that. And honestly, both just, it was done, shook hands, and that was it. And they were both pummeled and cut and bruised and bloodied and swollen and went back into, back into the bar and started guzzling again. <laughs> there, so so you're, you're not going to claim a victor in it, though? You're going to call it a draw? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not taking a victor in this one at all, no. <laughs> no. Well, like you said, 95-96, um, you actually get traded. You're 17, and you get traded down to Seattle. Um, again, were, were you, were, well, were you happy going to Seattle? Did you want to go somewhere else or were you happy with the trade? Do you want to stay in Swift Current? How did all that happen? So, well, how that happened was I wasn't playing. Yeah. Um, mentally I, I, I was done. Like I, I, it was weird cause I, you want, you want to call it weak or you want to call it whatever you want to call it. I had reached a point mentally where I couldn't physically go to the rink anymore in Swift Current. I hated it so much because I just, I wasn't playing. Um, and whether it was I couldn't buy into the system, maybe, I don't know what the case was. Like, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not blaming Todd McClellan. I'm not blaming Doug Moser. I'm not blaming anybody. It was just, for me, I couldn't physically go to the rink anymore. And I, and I phoned Doug and I was just like, I'm done. Like, I am done. And he's like, well, can we trade you? And I was like, sure. And then they traded me to Seattle. I, I didn't even have a choice. Again, I didn't even care. I was excited just to get out of there and, and, and have a fresh start maybe would, would be the best best use of words. And going out to Seattle was crazy because I went from like the smallest market in, the, in, in like CHL, Canadian Hockey League, to like one of the biggest markets. Yeah. Right? So it was the first time I'd ever been in a, on, a, on an airplane at 18 years old. Right, we were driving to Regina. I was shitting my pants. Like, of course, when I go, this plane's gonna crash for sure. I'm gonna die. And uh, but yeah, obviously it didn't. And got into Seattle, and uh, I got, I had some great billets there. Some some wonderful people took me into their home and treated me like one of their own. And 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 by saying that, I think a lot of people think like this billet situation and stuff like that is like they take you in. Oh, you're one of their own kids. You kind of do what you want. But they they held you accountable, right? Like it was. You were one of their kids. They, they treated you the same way they would treat everyone else. You were held to a standard, and you had to abide by the rules of the house and stuff like that, and it was great for me. Um, you know, Don Knockbauer was our coach at the time in Seattle, and Snacks, as you know, was an absolute killer when he played, and he expected a lot of the players, but he also knew, he also knew how to read guys and how to treat different guys because everybody needed to be treated a little bit differently. I think that was maybe... I was kind of in a transition time of, of it was a transition time of hockey. I think where a lot of stuff was starting at that point, maybe to transition to how it is more today where everyone gets treated individually. It's not so, you know, when I first kind of got started, it was very my way or the highway, right? Like this is the way it is. Everyone's gets treated the same way. And if you can't package your out snacks was a little bit different, you read people good. And, and I flourished there, right? I did really good there. And uh, getting traded from there, I mean, you know, if you want to get out of Seattle yet, which I know you don't want to, but getting traded from Seattle, that was actually the most surprising one that of all my trades I, I had was, was getting traded from there. Yeah, well, and of course, well, we'll get to it. Yeah, obviously it ended up working out for you. I mean, uh, you know, pretty good spot to land in. But, uh, yeah. well, like you said, when you, when you get to Seattle, um, the first thing I got to ask you about, there's, there's some 15-year-old kid tearing shit up named Pat Marlowe. I think he, he went on to do pretty good. Uh, what was your first Patty, impressions of Marlowe? I thought he was okay. 
Yeah, he was all right. What's that? What was your first impressions of him playing with him? You know what? I knew Patty back when well, he was yeah, in South Kern. Yeah, exactly. I was right. Like, so yeah. I, I, yeah, I knew Patty going into it, and uh, yeah, kid is a, just a you know, Patty's a quiet guy, right? His whole career, anyone that knew Patty will tell you that he was a super quiet guy. Yeah, and. Uh, but but good kid. I mean, and talent obviously coming out of Stricken Yin Yang. And one thing I'll always say about Patty, and 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 if people don't, if you understand this, is that he was just built to play the game. Like he never had any injuries. Right, his body. He had a lean upper body, but strong. But he had these huge legs, and he was just built to play the sport. He never got hurt, and. uh but but what a but what a hockey player! I mean, the kid just put the puck in the net, and he had a lot of protection around him. Um, you know, like Paul Ferron was there at the time when I was there. Schmidt was there, and like these guys are tough. And Mo, and then Mohagen came there from Swift Current, and there a lot of lot of lot of lot of guys around him that that Patty never got touched. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, and I mean. Uh if if Seattle was anything, it was tough, uh, you guys. Um, you know, yeah. with, with Mo Hagen and Jason Nori, uh Kuznick, um Ferone. Well for, okay, first of all, yeah, Paul Ferone is actually I've had him on the show. He was the guy I reached out and talked to about you coming on. And uh he oh, said, yeah. oh he said, Oh good dude, good player and had a good uppercut. I remember him hammering a couple guys <laughs> with it. Can't think of any stories that could be talked about on the air, but I always enjoyed having beer with him. Tell him I'll be listening. So, yeah. Yeah, Paulie was a beauty, man. All I remember about Paulie was he had this big, giant nose on him. I always liked, yeah. I always got such a kick out of him, right? And we'd go to places. We'd go to, we'd go on the road and they'd call him the rat, right? They'd call him the rat all the time. But pound for pound, again, like, man, him and Willis ended up playing together. Yeah. Like I was like, God, man, if these guys ever fought, and I think they might have fought too. Back when I think when Willie was in Swift, I think, I think Paul and him scrapped. Yeah, yeah, man, man, what a couple of just weapons, and like not big guys, right? Like Paul wasn't a big guy at all, but man, he was freaking tough. He was tough as shit. And uh, but yeah, good guy. I uh, I really enjoyed playing with Paulie too, and. Uh, I got, when I got traded away from there, we had to play against him. I just freaking, I just left him alone, right? You knew the guys you just leave alone. You didn't want to poke the bear. Were you there when he went on the bus in Kelowna after the Rockets? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go, were you behind him? Yep. Did you go on the bus with him? No. <laughs> Somebody I said he went, on, he, went on the, he went on the Kelowna <laughs> Rockets bus, people listening. Yeah. With, this is with Parker, Millette. Fedora, yep. all these guys in Kelowna, they said he went on the bus and was like yelling at somebody, and like none of them did anything. You know, no. that's how badass Ferone was. Yeah. True story. Yeah, he was he was insane, man. He was he was crazy. I think people, <clears throat> I think people took that from Paulie, right? Like they knew they knew he was a little bit nuts, and and then they left. I mean, well, a bus with tough guys like that on people, you're gonna think the guy's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, kind of another undersized guy that was just, he was a rookie when you were there, but of course he went on to have 300 minutes and fought everybody. And, uh, and I've heard some stories, uh, speaking of ratish, uh, was Chris Thompson. <laughs> Topper. Yeah. Grease. Yes. What a beaut. I, funny you bring him up. I actually saw him, 
a month ago, a month and a half ago, in uh, in uh, Saskatoon, Aberdeen, at a U9A uh, hockey tournament. My son was, we took my son up there, I helped coach his team. We took him up there, and Greece was up there, and uh, yeah, sat around, had a beer with him, and, and caught up on some old times. But yeah, you talk about Radish. But the thing with Greece was, again, like that era, he, he could fight. And he was, sure. he was a tough guy. And a lot of guys will say about Chris is that he was small. Like, yeah, he was a smaller guy. But he wasn't. Like, he, well, he's not a small guy. He was, you know, he's 6'2", and he was 200 and some pounds. And he wasn't small, but I don't know if he, the way he skated, the way he kind of carried himself out there, made it, maybe made him look small, but he wasn't small. So, you know, he'd get at her, he'd get a hold of you, man, and he could chuck him really good, too. Like, that, that Seattle team, when I was there and when I left, they had a, there was a lot of tough guys. Reach was there. Yep. Jeremy Reach was there. He was there. Willis was there. Ferone, Mohagan. I mean, the list goes on, right? They were, they were all tough. Oh, yeah. Pop, Drew Palmer. I mean, yeah, there's like. Pop, Palms. Yeah. 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 Well, and then not only are they tough, but that whole division is just like every night you guys went in and played, like, you know, well, perfect example. I mean, obviously you had the big rivalry with Spokane. And I mean, Right. You, know, you got Boschman, Haley, and I mean Chris Graff. Now there's a guy, undersized guy, that was a killer was Chris Graff. Now Graffer, I fought him. We didn't have much of a fight because I knew he was tough and I was just like I kinda wrapped him up and ended that quite early. But talking about that team, a guy that maybe didn't get enough respect for being tough, but was was because he didn't fight very much, because he was more of a goal scorer was Trent Whitfield. Uh yep. I remember I remember a night Tyler Willis and Whitfield went at her. And to this day, it's like, again, I had front row seats and that thing. I was like, it was one of those little scrums where the fight starts and everyone's kind of tied up with the guy. And I had like front row seats that was five feet from that thing. And I mean, those two guys punched each other in the face. I'm not kidding. They must have punched each other in the face 40 times. And it was one of those ones where they each grabbed on and they started throwing rights. And it was just whoop in the face, back and forth, back and forth for a minute straight. So, yeah. Got to give Winter Winter some cred there. He was a he was a tough, pretty tough dude that didn't fight a whole ton. Yeah, absolutely. And for those that want to know, that fight is on my YouTube channel, Whitfield and Willis. So definitely check it out. It's a good. Is one. it? Yeah, it there is. you go. Yeah, and uh, one other guy, Jay Birch. He was on there too. I mean, Birchy, yeah, yeah. You know, and just yeah, so many tough guys from oh, back that that era. Well, on another team there, Kamloops, of course, they were, you know, they, at that time, you know, they had their big uh, Memorial Cup run and everything else. Um, what was, and, you know, you had Nat Down McKelly and, uh, and another guy named Jerome McGinley. What was it like playing against Iggy? You know what? Iggy, Iggy was that guy. I mean, he was so talented and so big, like, so strong. I'm not going to say big because he wasn't huge, but he was so strong, right? And he just, he commanded respect and you had to play him. You couldn't go out of your way and try to run him over or anything like that because he'd make you look silly. And if you did get a hold of him and you, and you did hit him funny or you got him with a good check, I mean, you had to answer the bell with him. I remember <laughs> I remember him tuning in Mohagen one night, man. I, I saw my like, – I was kind of surprised because Tony's a pretty tough kid. Yep. And, uh, man, Iggy gave it to him pretty good, the old, the old glossy eyes that night. But, but uh, yeah, I know Iggy was a tough, tough customer, man. And he – he that was later in his career, so he didn't have to fight a whole ton in the dub. But I mean, he liked it. Like Iggy loved it. He he'd fight anybody, right? Even maybe when he shouldn't. Like even a guy like Mo back in that day, he probably shouldn't have been fighting him. But he would. He'd answer the bell. He'd fight anybody. 
Yeah, he would. Yeah. Um, well, another guy that did fight everyone and was massive was Skurlak, Rob Skurlak. <laughs> Big egghead Skurlak, yeah. Man, what a meatball, though. But, yeah, he would. He would fight anybody. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it, it goes to show you the way that games maybe change. Like, a guy like that nowadays, would he, I mean, he couldn't play. No. Right? He couldn't, he wouldn't, I don't even know, I don't know what he points the guy got. Like, he couldn't play. But, I mean, tough as nails, right? Tough. And you had one or two of those on teams all the time back then. You had those guys. Nowadays, all those guys that can fight like that can play as well, right? So it just goes to show you how much the game's changed. But, yeah, Skrillak was a tough customer. I just remember how just giant of a head he had all the time. Like, the guys used to call him Mr. Potato Head all the time. Yeah, they're, uh, yeah, I've had, uh, well, like you were saying, like, right, like the, the 90s WHL was like Thunderdome. Like every team had yeah. guys and it's like, and I've had lots yeah. of guys on the show. Um, oh yeah, there's been Skurlak stories for sure. Um, but, uh, well, and just, well, just like going through this list here. And this is just in the, you know, this is just the, the West division that we're talking about. But, and then you go to, yeah. uh, Tri Cities. I mean, and of course you had the combo of Lankow and Terry Ryan. What was it like playing against yeah. TR? And uh, I guess you played against him in the American you know, League too. Yeah, you know both. You know both those guys though. Both those guys tough, but I don't. I don't even remember them from being like tough because they were so freaking skilled. Yeah, like those guys are putting up massive points in the dub as well, right? Yeah. So you're not even going out be like. Well, is the guy's going to fight tonight, or this is a guy that, you know, you might get into a scrum with one of those guys and end up scrapping him. But they, again, they those guys put up such huge numbers. They were so talented as hockey players, but they would answer the bell whenever it needed to be answered, right? Yeah. And Terry Ryan, I mean, what a character he was, even on the ice. Like, I remember playing against him, you know, even in pro, too. And, and what, a, what a beauty. But, like I say, those guys were so talented as far as you saying, like, oh, they were tough. I don't even really remember that because, again, because it put up like a hundred points a season. Well, yeah, I mean, in, his, in that year of junior, he had like fifty goals and twenty five fights. It's just like it's crazy, Terry, that, and that stuff doesn't happen anymore. No, 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 and that's like, um, and I think a lot of times, of course, you know, because obviously Terry has his uh, his podcast that a lot of folks listen to, yeah. and you know, he has the books, and and I mean, and he likes to self deprecate. I mean, I think he doesn't give himself a lot of credit, and I and I. That's the one thing I, I always sort of stress to people. I think, like, people don't, will never understand in the Western Hockey League how good he was. Like, how good that guy was. Oh. You know, because you listen so to his show, he always says it's all Lankow, it wasn't him. Well, yeah, but someone's got to put it in, too, right? Yeah, he's feeding you, but someone yeah. you got to put it in. And not only that, and, like, Terry is not the biggest guy, but, I mean, you go back and watch him fight, guy fought everybody. And uh, probably yeah. to his detriment, actually, he probably shouldn't have been fighting those guys. But no, that's the thing, right? Yeah. But you don't know any better back then. No, no, exactly. You know, and like and like you said, moving on to Kelowna. I mean, you got Surrey, Jamie Butt, Fedoric, Scott Parker, Tyler Prasovsky. Like, you know, unbelievable killers, man. Yeah, killers. And I remember. I'll fast forward a little bit. We can go back. But I remember playing in Kamloops in twenty. And Petruk, Randy Petruk's our goalie. And at this point, I'm like, I'm a defenseman, right? And I'm there's me and Donnie Kinney, who's from Regina here, too. And and 
me and Donnie, like, I'm leading the team in scoring as a defenseman, right? Like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm 20 years old. I'm not fighting anyone anymore, right? Like, there's not a chance I'm fighting. And Parker's in front of the net all the time on the, on the power play. I'm working the PK, and Petrak's getting so mad at me. Like, you got to get out of, you got to get him out of the way. And I'm like, Strucker, how am I going to move him? I'm not going to two-hand him in the legs. I'm not going to cross-check him in the back. So I'm legit on the ice. I'm like, Parks, uh, Parksy, I'm going to go in front of you. You can't cross-check me, but I won't slash you. I won't cheap shot you. I won't nothing. You can stand in front of Randy, but you got to let me stand in front of you. You can't cross-check me nothing. He's like, okay, fair enough, good deal. So I would stand in front of him, and those guys would shoot Fox, and Petrucks like, I can't see, and I was a goalie. I was like, Trucker, I got it, and I would stop everything. I would just basically play goal in front of him because I couldn't move Parker, and I wasn't going to try. So I said to Petrucks, goes in, it's my fault, and I block shots all night, all the time, every time we played Kelowna. So all I did was block shots. I was a goalie. Yeah, well, I mean, that that dude was so scary, man, and especially his last year. When he was like, he was like knocking guys. He locked Friedrich out, Chara out. Like he's dropping these guys. And it's like, and the thing was, is what people, you know, everybody sees the NHL Scott Parker. Scott Parker scored 30 goals in Kelowna too. So it wasn't like he didn't have a clue. I mean, granted, like nope. you said, he's going to stand in front of the net and probably not going to get a lot of grief over it, but still you got to put it in. Right. You know, right. Um, so well, funny we... you mentioned, you funny. Well, hang on. I'll go back to Seattle and I'll talk about Chara. Okay. So I fought Chara. That probably no one even knows. Fought Chara. Wasn't much of a fight. But I'll tell this, and I always tell this. My, and, and when I tell this, I'll go back to my son. But So we're in Seattle, and I'm coming across the line. I'm rushing the puck up, and it's offside. And it's offside, and as I kind of go, the whistle blows, and I go to turn, and he cheap shots me. And it's the first time we've ever played them, and the first time he's there, and he's just he's freaking humongous. Or he's a huge human being. And I, like, stick him. Like, I don't know if I spear him or I slash him or whatever. And I'm like, you want to go? And no faster did I say that. And he's he drops his gloves. And I go to drop my gloves. By the time my gloves are off, he's already punched me in the face. And I'm done. Like, he's thinking I'm fucking I got the wobbly legs. And I got to go in. And I am and I got the scar still to prove it that I had to get my, like, lip, like, zippered up. Like, he, like, split it. So... My son, I always tell my son that, and he gets such a kick out of it when he's playing his PS4 when he sees anything on TV. He loves telling his buddies, he's like, hey, that guy, that, that's the Dino Chara, he knocked my dad out. He beat up my dad. Look at my head, got the scars. So pretty, you know, at the time, it's like a crazy story. You don't want to be telling too many people that, but my son gets a pretty big kick out of it. So, And I can say, hey, I fought Chara. So I didn't do too well, but I did fight him. And it was in Seattle? No, it was in, in PG, in Prince George. Oh, that's I was going to say, because I have a lot of the Seattle fights on DVD, and I'm like, I don't remember that. It was in Prince George. That's why Yeah, I'm it was not. in Prince George. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Think, I think Ferone got him back for you, so there you go. Or did yeah, yeah. Him he, he, no, I fought him. Actually, I fought him, and then Tyler Willis fought him twice that game. There you go. Tyler Willis. Can you imagine that? Probably one of the smallest fighters in the league fighting Charlie. And Willie did fine. Like, I mean... I think a lot of times he's probably punching him in the chest, but uh, but yeah, he he never backed down from him. They fought. He fought him twice that yeah. game. Yeah, I know Ferone dropped him actually. I have that that fights on my YouTube channel as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He, uh, but yeah, I couldn't have, like yeah fighting a guy. Well, what is he six nine? Like seven feet Has on skates be. at that point. Like, like and man, the the reach people can't even. I mean, I'm reaching out right now. I was running the phone. I got a real long reach. I'm a pretty big dude. And he would have had another foot of a reach on me easily. Yeah. 
Yeah, if he gets you strung out, uh, he was a he was a huge human. Yeah, it's not going to go well if he gets you strung out. That's for sure. Um, no, no. Well, one name I do want to hit you with because uh, again, I had him on the show. Great guest, good dude. I think you guys have had him on too. Uh, Tedarenko. Do you have you had Tedarenko? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, we have. Yeah, yeah. What what was it like playing against Joey? You know what? Joey was a D man. I was a D man. I mean, we never interacted a whole ton. He wasn't a he wasn't a big rushing D man, right? Like he was kind of a stay at home tough guy back then. Yeah. And we never, I mean, we never interacted a whole ton. Um, but they had good teams back then, right? They had tough teams back then. Like Hosa was there, a super skilled guy. Yeah. Um, I remember Robinson was on the point, little guy that they had there, but they had, I mean, they had an excellent team. They won the Mem Cup then back then in that area. Yeah. And uh, great, great team. But like Tetsy, Played against him. We just didn't interact. Sorry, we just didn't interact the whole time, right? Because we just kind of played the same position, and he just never rushed the whole time. Yeah. Well, here's another here's another name that doesn't get talked about. And again, you know, rest in peace. But tough dude, man. Uh, Brad Symes. Yes, Brad Symes, man. I'll tell you what. I got a crazy story about Brad Symes. I'm 16, and I'm in Swift Current, and I'm like on the bench and I'm not playing and I, I, I never played when I was 16. So like I'm there with like my skates untied. Like I'm at the very end of the bench, just like chilling. And like Jason Horvath at the time was kind of one of our tough guys. And Horvath was 20 that year. I was 16 and good dude. Uh, just lived across the back alley from my parents' place at, at his billet. So he was over quite a bit and, and he kind of took me under his wing and, Horvey's like, I'm gonna like me and this guy are gonna go, and I was like, what? And, I, and so they dropped the gloves, and Simon looks like a 45 year old man, like he's got like hair down the sides and down the back, but he's got like this his top's completely bald at that time, right? It was insanity to me. I was like, what? Where am I? Like, what is going on? I just finished playing Bantam hockey, and man. Horvey, I thought, was like one of the biggest killers around back then because I didn't know any better. And Symes literally beat the living hell out of him. And I was like, holy shit, this one big, tough dude. And, uh, yeah, I remember that that bike come. I remember Horvey skating past me, like, back on the bench, and he's so cut up and bruised, you can barely see out of his eyes. And they're like, Belter, you're up. And I was like, what? I got my skates untied. I'm like, holy shit. So I'm like tying my skates as quick as I can to get out there, and uh, yeah, true story. But Simes, man, he was an absolute killer. Yeah, he was. And I mean, those Portland days when they had him and Kale Hulse on the blue line, it's yeah. like, yeah, oh, yeah, good, good luck to you. Yeah, because Kale Hulse yeah. murdered guys too. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you get him, and like you said, Brendan Morrow, Ference, Scatcherd, Isbister. I mean, come on, you know. Oh, oh, like like those three guys you just named, man. Like tough and like super super skilled, right? Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like people forget all that. Oh, that guy was pretty tough, and I was like, well, he had you know forty goals, yeah, or he had fifty goals, or had a hundred points in the dub too. In an in an era where it was hard to get points, right? Like you you had to scratch and claw for your points back then. It, well, they weren't easy. Well, you were paying for it. Right, and these guys are doing it and fighting 20 times a year. Yep. 
Yeah, and I and I again, that's yeah, like we were saying, right? I think that's the thing that sort of gets lost is like people look at the stats and whatever, but or else they see like with Scatchard or Morrow or whatever, they go on and well, they didn't really fight in the NHL, like you know, whatever. It's like, well, yeah, but they did in junior to establish themselves, and it's like, and they're pretty yeah. good at it, you know. It's like, yeah, it's just it was different back then, right? Like you said, different era. Yeah, different eras, right? Well, the following year, you start off in Seattle. You play thirteen games. You have five points. You're cruising along, and all and all of a sudden, you get traded to Lethbridge. Um, yeah, I you know I'm funny story about that trade. Well, funny story about that trade is I we went home at Christmas time. I think I I got hurt earlier in the year, and I came back. And I played a few games, and I, and I actually played. They played me on forward for a while, and then I kind of got back to the point. And Christmas came, and we went home. I got flown home for Christmas, and it was like Boxing Day, and I'm supposed to fly back. And I'm like getting ready in the morning because I, I live in South Carolina. There's an airport there, right? I got to drive to Regina, which is two hours away to, to catch a plane. So it's like eight in the morning, and I'm up and my folks are going to drive me back to, to Regina to fly back. And I can't remember my flight was at say two in the afternoon or whatever it was. And the phone rings and it's like back then there's no cell phones. Right. So it's yep. like the corded phone hanging on the wall. Like you, you know, sneak in, try to talk to your girlfriend. You got the cord in there. And so it's one of those. It's like, just so happens we hadn't left for freaking Regina yet. Phone rings and, uh, it's uh rock Barla. And he's like, hey, Shane, uh, you don't have to get on the plane. Just let you know you've been traded to, you know, you've been traded to Lethbridge, blah, blah, blah. Good luck. Get out. We'll figure out how to get your belongings and truck and all this other shit back to you. I was like, oh, okay. So then my next phone calls, Brian Maxwell phones me. Hey, welcome to the club, blah, blah, blah. You know, come on down. So it was kind of, in a way, I was, I was very surprised to get traded from Seattle, but then hindsight was, they're making a run and they, you know, traded for me. They wanted me for a reason. Um, and it was, it was great. I mean, it was pretty exciting to, to get to go to Lethbridge living, you know, in so I'm only four hours away from my family. My folks could come all the time and watch me play, which they hadn't been afforded that opportunity for two years. So, so it was awesome. And then, and then you get to Lethbridge and you just realize like how good of a group of players are there and how good of a team we had at that time before we made the big trade and, uh, yeah, it was something super special and, uh, you know, something I'm, I look back on now and it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me in my hockey career. Well, yeah, like you said, you get there, you have Byron Ritchie, Kirby Law, I mean, on and on, Shane Willis. Well, that's the big trade, I mean, and then, of course, you get Chris Phillips. That was the big thing. And really? Phillips was the man back then. Of course, obviously went on to have yeah. a great NHL career. But at the time, he was, like, yeah. going to be the number one pick and he was the big deal. And... um what was it like? What was he like? And what was it like playing with him? And did, did could you just see like this guy's gonna? This guy's the shit. This guy's gonna go on and and be stud man. He's just yeah. he's a stud. I mean, he was my D partner, right? Like yep. we played together the whole time. Like he was my he was my D partner, and and it was great playing with him. I mean, <laughs> we so many good stories playing together. But like you you you're never in trouble. You know, if you ever did something wrong, he was there, right? Like he was just a he was a man among he was a man among men, and uh, just what a stud! And like some funny stories about Philly that I can actually tell 
is I remember a story in the Mem Cop, and I know this is on video somewhere. I've tried to find it, but I can't find it. It was on TSN. And I don't know if it was a final game, which one of the games it was, but I go into the corner. I go into the corner to get the puck, and I'm a right D, and he's playing left side. And I wheel back to get it, and he's going, you got time belts, lots of time, lots of time. And I turn, and as I turn, I don't know who it was, but I just get absolutely railroaded. I mean, this guy had me on the tracks. And I get up, and the play goes on, and it kind of gets shipped out. And I look over at him, he looks at me, he says, he says, well, not that much fucking time. He says, <laughs> but it was literally a split second. Like, you have lots of time, and I turn it just, boom, I just got railroaded. So, so that's a good Phillips story. And then when he signs, he signs with Ottawa, and we're all still in Lethbridge, and he had come back, and it was summertime or what it was. And we're playing, like, the VLTs, and he chucks in, like, 500 bucks. And to me at that time, it was like, oh, my God, it's so much money. And we play for a while, and he's at like five fifty. And he's like, "Nah, I'm out of here." Well, I go to ca- you want me to cash out? He's like, he goes to me. He's like, "You either if that either goes to zero or it goes to five grand or something like that." He says, "You're not allowed to cash out unless it hits like five grand or you go to zero. I'm like, "Come on, just so much beer money." He's like, "Nope." So we just kept playing, and I think we probably blew it all. There's no way we got the five grand, so we probably blew it all. But yeah, another good Philly story. But yeah, I want a superhuman being and. Obviously, he went on to have an amazing career in Ottawa, and uh, yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's just he was just an absolute stud and just an awesome human being. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, what a great player, and uh, yeah, like you said, great career. And now a message from our sponsors. Are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl Fifty Seven, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just five dollars and get two hundred in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers could get in on the Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boosts. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern and see what prop bet will be boosted. Guys, I gotta say, I'm leaning, I'm leaning Eagles. And as far as prop bet goes, I've always been one to bet the uh, no safety. That's my, uh, that's my prop bet of, of choice. Uh, but download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. And, uh, well, before we get, obviously you guys win it, you go out at the Memorial Cup and stuff. But before we kind of get into that, um, just a couple names will, will warm the folks up here with who's on the club. Um, and, and again, polarizing dude. There's, uh, you know, stories about him, uh, you know, crazy and everything else. But, um, what was it like playing with Dale Purrington? You know what? Dale's just, uh, Dale gets probably a bad rap being crazy, being this, being that. I still, t- I, I talked to Dale two days ago. Me, me and Dale still communicate and I, we lost touch for a little while there. We played some, some, uh, you know, sometimes in the Amer- some American League hockey against each other. He played a little bit in the show. And then when the Hurricanes had us back a bunch of years ago and actually presented us with our WHL rings, um, me and Dale kind of reconnected. And we've stayed in touch since then. And we, we talk all the time. We've had him on our podcast once. We actually want to have him back on again because he was such a good human being. But but crazy is the, is the best word for him. I mean, he was bananas. Like, he would... He'd do anything, but he would, he'd do anything for you, right? Like he was a good, 
he was a good teammate. I, I don't think you'd find many people that played with Killer that wouldn't say he was a good teammate. Um, and one story I'll remember, and, I, and I'll never forget this, and I've I've told this story a ton of times, and I know you've probably, you've probably heard this story too, but we're in the playoffs, and we're in the second round, I believe, and we're playing Musha. And Reed Lowe's on Musha. And this series goes six games. And we have actually a TSN game in there too. And we're starting in Lethbridge because we obviously won the, uh, the Ed Chanel Cup or whatever the heck they call it. We got first place in the league that year. So we're hosting everything. And it's like me and Phillips always started, right? Like we always started. And they're like, yeah, you're not starting tonight. Uh, Parenton's starting. Killer's starting tonight. And I'm like, what? What do you mean he's starting? We always start. I guess it's what we do. We start the game, right? No, Dale's starting. I'm like, okay. We come off, whatever. Printing is out there. Him and Reed Lowe, they drop the glove. They drop the puck. They drop the gloves. Center ice. Every game at the start of the game, all six games, they drop the puck. Those two dropped the gloves and went out at center ice at the start of the game. Every game. It was amazing. It was one of the best series. Anyone I think that was involved in that series will tell you how amazing it was. It just set the tone for every game. And like I said, they took us to six games, and they had no business taking us to six games. But uh, but they did. They sat off that and, uh, yeah, made the series really awesome. But, yeah, back to Dale, man. He was just an absolute weapon, do anything for his teammates, great captain. And, uh, yeah, he led us, led us almost almost right to the end there, so we come up a little bit short. Well, yeah, and the thing with Purinton, I was always a fan of Purinton. I liked Purinton. And, I mean, you know, we got to pro. We went off the rails a few times with some suspensions and stuff. I always yeah. said, I said, the thing with Purinton, I said, which is too bad, is I said he probably came along a decade too late. If he had, if he yeah. had played in the 80s, he would have had a lengthy NHL career. Because all that shit would have been fine back yeah. in the 80s. It wasn't like, you know, but, uh, yeah, by the time he got there, the... Uh, you know, the, uh, the out of control stuff, they were trying to tame down a little bit, but, uh, yeah, man, right. Bad dude for sure. But in that, uh, in that run that you're talking about, of course, um, you guys get to the, uh, the division finals and you're playing red deer. And of course they stacked up yeah. at the, at the, at the deadline too, you know, and they got Terry Ryan and stuff like that. And I mean, you know, they already got BJ Young and Greg Schmidt and Asham and Wallen and Ward. And I mean, Mike Brown and Lloyd Shaw. I mean, Pete, Stephen Pete. I mean, you could go on and on. And you guys yeah. actually four, four to one. Like, were you surprised how easy you beat them? Well, you know, I knew I played with Greg Schmidt and I played with Shawzi both in Seattle, right? Yeah, I played with a lot of those guys, and I remember. So when I when I when I lived in in Lethbridge, my my roommate was Bryce Salvador, and on the road, Sal was my roommate too. So me and Sal lived together, and we 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 stayed on the road together. And I think we had. How did it work? Back to Red Deer. I won one, and I remember sitting in the room that night, and I said to Sal, "Fuck, you know, if we lose this next game, like Christ, we're in one. Like, what if we lose the two here?" And Sal's like, "We ain't losing two here, Bell. Like, we might split, but we ain't losing two. And then we won the first one, and then that night, Sal said to me, "We ain't losing the next one either." And we didn't, and we went back and won. They had a great team. Um, we were just so good. And we were just buzzing. Like, we were just rolling, right? And 
one of my really good childhood friends growing up, Mike Whitney, was their goalie. And funny story about that was we're in Lethbridge game five. We're winning. I don't know if we're winning by a goal or what it was. It's late in the game. And anyone that knows me listening to this that played with me, my sticks when I played were like the PP29. Like it was freaking tight, a straight stick. Yeah. I had like no curve on my I would just take these little twisted wristers from the point. That's how I got all my goals and points. I never took a slap shot. And my stick was like straight. And all of a sudden, they come over. And to this day, I think they made a mistake. But they come over and they're like, hey, stick check. Ledger's calling a stick check on you. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, curve, illegal curve. And our bench just bursts out laughing. Because I got the fucking straightest stick in the league, right? So they take my stick. Obviously, it doesn't measure. They get a penalty. It kind of ends. And to this day, I said, I said, Whitney, like, I swear to God, Witter called that, but I think they were trying to call Shane Willis and not Shane Duck, because Willie had, like, a freaking boomerang, right? But I had this super straight stick. So, anyway, funny story about that Reggie series. But, yeah, and then at that point in time, it was over. We had a power play with, like, a minute and a half left, and we were up, and obviously we weren't giving up that goal. So, yeah, I won that series and then uh, went on to play Seattle, who who didn't have a super great team back then, and we – you know, swept them in four games to to win the jug, so it was pretty pretty awesome. Well, I was gonna say how how rewarding was that to kind of beat Seattle in the end? Like, yeah, I think. I mean, there wasn't. I don't really think there was any question that we were gonna beat them. I mean, not to be like, oh, we were the best, but like, we we're just so good, right? And they yeah. they just didn't they just didn't have the horses, right? Like, I don't think it's not like they made a bunch. It's not like they made a ton of trades. I mean, they traded me to Lethbridge that year for, for Taylor and he was younger. Like he was an 18, 18 year old. I blew. I guess we were both, he was 18. I think I was a 19 at the time. So they kind of went, went back a year in age. And I don't think they, I don't think they had expected to go that deep. So for them to go that far, I think was, was, was great for them. Um, but like I said, we were so loaded up. We had such a good team that uh, it was, it was tough to beat us. We come at you from every, we could like from every angle with speed, power, toughness. There wasn't uh, there wasn't anything we didn't have in that lineup. Yeah, well, just on a personal level, like they trade you, then you come back and you beat them for the title. It's kind of, but I guess you didn't leave there. Yeah, with I mean, obviously, feelings though, but still, it's kind of like yeah, you kind of want never, to shove it up their ass. I never left us. Yeah, oh, for sure you do, right? Obviously, I mean, that was a big thing. Every that was a big thing when we got there. I mean. Um, like Randy Perry had ended up there too that year, and he was kind of their their captain and their you know big gun kind of in Lethbridge, and he really wanted to stick it to us too, right? And I just remember in the room every game it was like, "Okay, boys, you know, let's do this one for belts. Let's go for belts." You know, it was, it was they hung it on me a lot, like, "Let's do this for him," blah blah blah. So so it was special. It was pretty awesome winning that thing, and and I remember. You know, I'm like, I don't know protocol here. And I remember leaning over to Mike Josephson. We're getting down to the nitty gritty. And we know we have a one. We're up by a couple. And it's ending. We're a minute left. And I said to Josie, can we chuck our gloves off now? He's like, Bells, absolutely. We're chucking everything off. So that was pretty awesome. That horn sounded. And we could chuck everything off and, and go mob uh, go mob Rusty and, and carry that jug around in, in the Keystone was, uh, was something that was pretty special for me. 
No, absolutely. And uh, well, then, of course, the next big thing is the, the biggest showcase in junior hockey is the Memorial Cup. And it is in Hall, Quebec that year. And, um, you know, it's uh, Hall, Shakutami, uh, Oshawa, and you guys. Um, you know, and it's on TSN. And, you know, back then when that was, you know, you're on TV, it was a big deal because not, you weren't on TV a lot back then. So it's, um, you know, you have all that pressure on you. What was your feeling going into the Memorial Cup? Were you guys, pretty confident and what was it now you're and of course that's the other thing that people have to remember with the memorial cup you're playing teams that you've never seen and again before the internet right. you've probably never laid eyes on these people so it's like this is all new shit here when you're playing these guys um what were your feelings going into the memorial cup you know we're a pretty confident group right like uh we obviously we knew we had a good team um you know earned our way to be there and there was those those top 10 rankings right that we would follow so we knew these guys had good teams. Um, we knew Hall was really good. Uh, we knew Oshawa was pretty good. Chikudami we didn't know a ton about, but we didn't know how good they were. Um, you know, our first game, Our first game, I think we might have played Chikudami. You did. You beat them 4-2. Might have been our first game. Yeah. So we beat them. Um, but then we lose... Did we lose to Oshawa the next game? No, your next. I can't game, remember how it all worked. Well, I, I got it right here. Uh, your next game was okay. Against so the next Hall, game was Hall. Hall, and you guys are losing six one going into the third period, and you end up winning seven six so, in overtime. So I, I to this day it is it is if you look it up I don't know if you can find these stats anywhere but if there's ever an overtime or a sorry a a big, you know, a big lead going into third period. They always talk about that, and they always show the comeback. And it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest comeback in Memorial Cup history. So we are, we're down 6-1. And I remember we're in that room, and boys are like, hey, like we're not out of this. Like, let's just, let's come out, let's just chip away at this thing. Well, Frick, the first shift of the third period, we get three goals. I'm on the ice. I don't know if I had three assists or I was plus three or whatever I was. But we get three goals in that in the in the first whatever. We chip away, we chip away, we send this thing in overtime, and then Josephson scores the goal. And if you ever watch it, he scores and he jumps and he's like skating with his arms up and you just see me in the picture. I come out of nowhere and I just mow him over with the biggest hog ever and I you know, send him flying and we all just pile on and great. I mean that was it was so emotional though. We we we, all, we talk about this that was one of those things where it kinda it kind of drained our tank a bit because I think we lost to Oshawa next and then we had to play them in the semi. Yep. And then we beat them in the semi in overtime Yep. to get back to the final. And then one thing I'll say, love the guy to death. I respect him. He helped me a ton with my career, but um, Brian Maxwell wanted to come on the bench for the final game and he got approval from the league because he was suspended for that big brouhaha underneath in Regina that the year prior there was a big fight underneath and he got suspended for the whole year and we hadn't had him around we hadn't had him on the since we had him around he was around but he wasn't on the bench ever and he came on the bench and to this day I'm not saying it cost us anything but it was it changed the vibe of our bench and I I wish to this day we could have done it without that and see where we went at so we wouldn't have that excuse but Anybody that's been around the game a long time, superstition, stuff like that, I really wish Brian would have stayed off the bench. Um, it, it definitely didn't help us. He thought it was going to, and it, it, it did the exact opposite to our group. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about that whole thing um, the year before with him. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and like you said with Hall, I mean, you come back, you make the big comeback against him in overtime. Now you're playing him in the final. Um, it's kind of like, well, we beat him once, we can do it again. But, I mean, their team, I mean, Pavel Rosa, Christian Dubé. They're so good. Oh, yeah, and that's the other thing, like Christian Dubé, high draft pick, you know, you know, probably didn't really pan out in the show. But in junior, the, these guys were just stacked. And another guy yeah. that, well, people, obviously Peter Worrell. I mean, there's a large human. Yeah. Uh, Colin White, yeah. Francis Belanger. I mean, they had tough guys too. And I know Puritan and Worrell were going at it left and right. And uh, well, actually, I think it was yeah. Michael Michael Grady had the big fight with Worrell too. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember watching those games at home, and for some reason, Worrell just bugged the shit out of me. Oh, I wanted you guys. <laughs> I wanted you guys to beat those guys so bad. Um, yeah, so did we. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things, man. I mean, it's something, it's something you, you, you something you never forget, right? Like yeah. it's just losing something like that is something you just never eats at you forever. Like it's you get so close, and for me, it's a lesson that I'm hoping I can pass down maybe to my kids if they ever get the opportunity to play at that level to be like you, you, you know, people tell you, hey, you only get one shot at this. And it, it is true. Like you, those chances don't come around and, and I've lived it, right. I've been there and I can, I can, I can pass that knowledge down to people to say like, you don't get these opportunities to be with teams like this. Like, and I know this is so off the rails, but like my daughter right now, she plays female hockey here in Regina and they play at a, the highest level they can play at for their age. They're in U 11 female. And they got an absolute wagon of a team. They got such a good little team. And I keep telling my daughter that I'm like, you, you, you don't understand how good of a team you got. And you don't understand the opportunities. Like, just work extra hard, keep working, keep working. You guys got a chance to win, even a city title. It's pretty cool to be around that kind of group of of individuals. We'll say, even taking the age out of it, being around in a group of individuals like that that can uh, that can dominate and do things at that level. It's it's pretty special. So, anybody listen, if you get that opportunity, your kids get that opportunity. Just make sure you still and I'm like just that. These these opportunities do not come around very often. I've lived it. No, and absolutely, and it, yeah, like you said, it doesn't matter the level or whatever. Especially you go that far, and it's it's like that bond, right, with that group of people that you don't have, you're never going to have with anyone else because you all went no. through the ship. No one else did, just you guys. So it's like no one else right. will understand it, right? So and it doesn't matter what yeah. level you're at. And I mean, that's why you're playing, right? I don't care what level it is, you're playing to win. And it's like, and this is what it's about. And yeah, like you said, when you, when you get that opportunity, and I think a lot of times in anything, I think, you know, we're getting so philosophical here, but I think people think, you know, shit's going to last forever, right? Like it's, and I think <laughs> you get in that mindset sometimes and it's like, it's not, it's very fleeting, right? The moment. So it's like, you got to take it in and well, you can. And then to tell that to a 18, 19 year old is, is even tough. Oh well, yeah. Cause you think you're. Well, we'll just do it next You're year. You're invincible. You're going to live forever. Exactly. And then when you get old and decrepit, and you, it's like, yeah. And you blink, you blink and you're 45 and you're fat. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and now, a message from our sponsors. This time of year, everyone's talking about making big changes, which is all well and good, but most of the time, pretty unrealistic. I know myself, like most people, I'm going to work out more. <laughs> but I've actually found that the smallest changes to your routine can make the biggest impact. In the same way, you don't have to break the bank to make big deal purchase. Even the smallest things can be part of a big change. And if it's something you use every day, like my Raycons, 
Raycon is a premium audio at the perfect price point. You can build great habits without breaking the bank. Yeah, just throw them in your ears, jump on the treadmill. Makes makes the workout go a lot quicker. You can listen to your favorite podcast. Hashtag enforcer-based podcasting. Uh, but whether you're looking for a pair of everyday earbuds, low-latency gaming headphones, or a speaker with a battery that'll last all night at your next party, Raycon's got you covered. And yes, Raycon started half the price of other premium audio brands. So you don't have to choose between products. You can get one of each or a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with, the, with some of the other guys. If you have multiple pairs of everyday earbuds, throw one in the gym bag. Throw one at your desk at work. Even if you know you'll love your Raycons as much as I do, Raycon wants to make sure you feel great about your purchase. They offer a buy now, pay later options. Every purchase has an easy and free return, guaranteed. Yeah, I've always found, I've had numerous different earbuds over the years. And I always have trouble fitting my ear for some reason. But the Raycons, actually really good fit. And the best part is they are actually, and I know firsthand, they're actually sweat, water and sweat resistant. Get ready to buy something small with big impact. Go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Now back to your regularly scheduled program. All right, we're back here. Uh, we move into the uh, 97, 98 season and, uh, you know, you're on the move here. You play eight games. Five points in Lethbridge, and then it's off to Kamloops uh, to finish it off. And, oh, hell, you end up a point-of-game player in Kamloops. But, uh, again, were you surprised with that trade? And were you happy? Well, I mean, Kamloops had a loaded team. I mean, how did that all go down? Were you surprised? Well, we weren't we weren't loaded when I went there. But, like, so funny part about that story is I, <clears throat> I get invited. I get, I get offered a free agent trout to Toronto's camp. So... I go to Toronto and I always tell a couple of these stories. It's, it's kind of funny that my D partner there is Thomas Caberlet, who obviously went on to have an amazing NHL career. And I remember like the first time we're on the ice, like I am, I am, I'm out of my element. Right. And we're there and I kind of, we're playing. And it's like one of those scrimmage, scrimmages and I we're playing and Domi's on the other team. Right. And I kind of go in and I kind of rub him out and he turns and looks at me and he's like, I don't know what I did. And he's like, don't ever do that again. And I was like, sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, what are you going to say to him? Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So pretty cool, all that stuff. And, and I'm there and I actually have a really good camp. And I think, and my agent at the time phones me, they think they're going to, they think that they might sign me and keep me around and send me to the rock. St. John's is where their farm team was out in Newfoundland on, on the Island. And I was like, holy shit. And then anyway, they, they decide not to. It doesn't work out. I get sent back to Lethbridge. I get back to Lethbridge, and there's like, we have like five 20-year-olds. And I kind of knew the writing was on the wall, but they got to play me because a couple guys were still gone at, at NHL camps, hadn't got back yet. And so I play eight games. They're actually playing me on forward, which is probably where I got the five points. And, uh, and then the day comes where I, where I do get called in and I get traded. And I don't like it, it's one of those typical. It wasn't one of those typical. Hey, you're traded. Uh, see you later. It was one of those ones where where, where Perry and, and and Brian at the time, Maxwell, called me into the office, and as they're telling me, I mean, tears are flowing out of their eyes and mine. Like you win a championship like that, it's, it's like you said before. You just become a. It's a brotherhood, and it's just a 
a group of people that, that become very important in your life. And, man, <laughs> I've even shed more tears in my life, you know, in hockey. I just, I hated leaving Lethbridge. I, I loved it. Um, Bonnie and Gerald Munch were my billets there, and they were just such fantastic people. I, I, I just, I love Lethbridge. I just, I absolutely love it. Love the city, love the, the place. It's a, it's a perfect size, and I, and I love being there. So I actually went home. I said, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to go. And they're like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, my plan was, to be honest with you, my plan was to go to uh, U of S. I was going to go to university. I had, at this point in time, I had five years of schooling basically paid for it the way I had negotiated it. So I was actually going to go to, uh, I was actually going to go to U of S to become a veterinarian. It's kind of my thing. I love animals and I was going to go, go and do that. But, uh, so I went home and I was at home for a few days and Mark Abscheid was the coaching canvas at the time, Swifty guy. And he phoned me and Bell's just come out, come out. You know me, come out, stay with me Just stay with us. Come play a few games, meet the guy, see what you think. If you hate it, you don't want to be here we'll send you back and I'll, and I'll talk to Dave Adolph in Saskatoon. I'll get you in there. You can, I'll get you into school. So they're like, okay, fair enough. So I went out there and played. I think the first game was in, I we played in Spokane or where it was the first game I played with them. I had like two goals and an apple. And I was like, ah, this is kind of okay. And then the next game I had like a goal and an apple. I was like, nah, this is okay. And uh, yeah, the crowds in Kamloops were awesome. Rink was awesome. City was great. My bills were good. And I kind of felt, you know, I kind of got into a little bit of a groove there. Guys were good. A.J. Baines was there. Donnie Kinney, Randy Petruck were kind of the older guys there. And then Robin Regeer, I ended up being my D partner, young guy at the time. Obviously went on to have an amazing NHL career. Mickey DuPont as well went out, played in the show. Those guys were there. And, uh, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, I got I got hurt in playoffs right before playoffs, which really sucked. And, and we lost the first round because I couldn't play, which really hurt, um, you know, having to kind of go out your WHL career like that, but I had such a good year that year. And with Abby's connections in, in the NHL, he got me helped get me a, a contract in, in Boston. And funny story. I remember going in there and at the time I was like, Hey, I got a call. They offered me this much money. And it was like crazy money for me at the time. And I was like, but I think we're going to turn it down. My agent thinks we should turn it down. I should get more. And he's like, are you effing nuts? He's like, you are this pigeon from Swift Current. You've never been drafted. You're having a good year. Like, just shut up and take that money. That money will pay for 10 years of school if you want to go to school. Like, don't be stupid. So I'm like, okay. So I signed with Boston, uh, you know, Boston, and uh, finished out my career in uh, in uh, in Kamloops. And, yeah, then went on went on down there and then and started playing playing the pro game. Well, I was going to say, well, well, we'll get right into Boston here. But before that, when you're in Toronto and you're, you know, with Domi and like, of course, they got like at that time, like Wendell Clark and Matt Sandin are there. And, um, you know, if you're like, you're sitting in the dressing room and it's just like, you know, now you're, you're kind of looking around. Is it sort of uh, like, what's that feeling like? Like, and then you're out in the ice with these guys, these guys you watch on Hockey Night in Canada. Now you're sharing the ice with them. It's like, uh. Like how how was that whole experience in Toronto? Like we'll get to Boston here, but in Toronto was everybody cool with you? Like uh, how did that go? Yeah, it, it, Toronto was good. Like, Toronto was good. It was uh, it was it was just it was a different atmosphere in Toronto compared to Boston. Like they had they didn't have it in Toronto. It was like in Kitchener. Yeah, I think it was Kitchener. So it wasn't in Toronto. So it was a little bit different you weren't kind of where they always were and the vets kind of did their own thing and the, and the, the younger guys kind of hung out together and uh so it's a little bit different from that aspect but 
just being on the ice with these guys and seeing them move and skate was was incredible. And and I always say like the speed is unreal. But one thing I always tell people is that the American League to the NHL, the speed isn't a ton different. Like it's obviously different. Like you look at a guy like McDavid, but it's not a ton ton different. But the the decisions are quick. Yeah, the decision making is quicker. Right, so that's that's where the difference is. You have to get your brain to work. Like you know what you're going to do before you get the puck. Even in junior, you know, but it's just executing that much quicker. And that's how that's how what I found about the game is it wasn't the skating and all that keeping up wasn't so bad. It was just the decisions and what you're going to do and try to figure out what that guy's going to read off what you're going to do. Like those decision making things were a lot different in in the pro game. Yeah. Well, like you said, you, you get you sign with Boston. So you're, well, actually, before even any of that happens, um, were you disappointed that you didn't get drafted? I mean, that's a stupid um, question. I mean, everybody wants to get drafted, but did you, I guess, put it this way, did you think you were going to, and when it didn't happen, were you, like, how did you react, or was it just sort of like, ah, whatever, we'll see what happens? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really expect to. I never really thought much of it. Um I mean, I, I, I started to come out of my shell a little bit and play a lot better when I was 18. And then my 19-year-old year in Kamloops, which was past my draft year, is when I really started to evolve. And everybody develops so much differently, right? And I just yeah. developed a lot later. Um, I, I honestly wasn't disappointed. I never expected to go. And then it was one of those things where I remember watching, and it's a funny story, but we were in Swift at the time, and I was playing with a, I, I had played with a guy who um, I had played with a guy who, who was playing some like SJHL stuff and his name was Chad Kalmakoff. And we get a call that, Hey, Kalmakoff got drafted in the fourth round to Toronto. And I was like, what? It plays like in the freaking SJ. What are you talking about? Yeah. No, he got drafted. Yeah. So we're like, Holy shit. So they phone him everything. They're going to send him a Jersey, blah, 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 blah. Wrong Kalmakoff. No. Yeah. That's how crazy it is. Like, they're the wrong guy. So, they told us, so like, poor guy, right? So, he's, like, got drafted to the Leafs. Wrong dude. Like, totally wrong guy. So, yeah, but, I mean, that's... So, I always think, I always think of that story when I think of the draft because I was like, holy shit, maybe I'll go in the, one of the late rounds. But I never fully expected to go. Um, and then not going, it's, I, I wasn't, I mean, I think everybody's probably like, ah, it's kind of disappointing. I didn't go, but I wasn't like devastated by it because I had really no expectations that I was going to get drafted. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, okay. So you sign with Boston, you roll in, um, uh, you, now you, <clears throat> of course, now you have a contract, you're going to Boston camp and they, of course they got, you know, that's right in the, uh, Samson off Joe Thornton just got there, Kyle McLaren and, of course, Ray Bork, and uh, what was it like uh, going to that camp? And uh, did you get a chance to play? Were you you team up with Ray? He's my D partner. There you go. I think Ray still talks about. Here's him. what I always say. Hey, listen, I always say, uh, Cabernet. I put you know put him on the map. He had a great career. Yep. Bork, same thing. And then the next year, my next my next camp, the following year in Boston, Paul Coffey was my D partner. See. Well, I, played, I, I can always say I played with a lot of with a lot of Hall of Famers. Yeah, you're well. You're you were setting up Joe Thornton, the kid. You know, look how he turned out. Good. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I always say I tell Sir Bork, quietest guy you'll ever meet. Like super quiet guy. Like 
really good guy, but really quiet. You know, when I was there, he was older at that time, right? Like, um, you know, you, you go out and you got like, you know, Joseph and Thornton Samson, all these guys, right? And they got their, you know, their 20-year-old girlfriends there, their 21-year-old girlfriends there. And like, you're playing in the show. It's like, you can imagine what, like, it's just like, holy macaroni, right? Like, it's craziness. And then I remember you go to this big dinner and here comes Bork with his wife and like, you know, she just, just not what you expected. And then you're like, Oh my God, these people are like, you know, I'm 20, he's like 35, 36 years old. You don't, you don't realize how, how old he was. His kids were like, you know, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old at the time. So it was later in his career. Um, super good guy, crazy loaf he had on him. And, uh, but yeah, superhuman being, um, my next year, I would say like coffee was, was, was a super cool guy. Like he was, he was a real suave guy and he liked to go and, and he, you know, I was D partner with him and I first day of camp, we're out there, we do our thing and we're off to practice and I'm getting undressed and he's already undressed and showered and changed and he's sitting there and he's standing there and he looks at me and he's like, can you hurry up? And I'm like, what, what me? Yeah, let's go. I'm like, where are we going? We're going for lunch, man. Like, you're my D partner. We go for lunch after we play. Let's go. And I was like, I don't have a car. He's like, I have a, my Land Rover's out back. I'm waiting for you. I'm like, oh, shit, sorry. So I get undressed really quick, shower, load up, away we go, and we're, like, leaving the parking lot. And there's all these people lined up, right? So he stops and rolls the windows down. They're like, can't we get your autograph? I'm like, sure. They're like, no, not you. His book, coffee, coffee. Like, I'm like passing stuff around to sign. Like, you know, I don't sign one thing, obviously, right? I'm just some pigeon at camp. But, uh, yeah, I always tell that story, too. I think it's pretty pretty comical. But all in all, good guys. Um, you know, Jason Allison is there. I always thought he was he was a massive prick to the rookies. When I was there, anyway, he was just a, he was just a dick. And, you know, it's... It's funny, you think later in life, like guys like that, you just think, yeah, what a piece of shit. Like, it's just, as those guys get older, I'll never think of a good thing about someone like that because of the way they treated people. But like a guy like Bork or Coffee, like absolute Hall of Fame legends, just treating guys like gold. So, so there you go. I guess they're Hall of Famers maybe for a reason. There you go. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Uh, how was, how was, how was Jolton Joe? How was Thornton? Joe was good. I mean, pretty quiet guy too like at that time he was just getting his feet wet and and you know finding his own way back then so i mean he was he was pretty quiet big guy good hockey player obviously and uh but yeah no he was good good nice guy and he didn't say a whole ton back then and samsonoff i mean samsonoff couldn't even hardly i don't think he could even speak english so there was a massive language barrier when he first got there well i was gonna say and that like those obviously they were the first round like there's a lot of pressure on those two yeah big time yeah um, well, another guy, you know, he's, you know, from old Flim Flon, tough dude, uh, legendary enforcer, the bomber. How was, you around Baumgartner at all? A little bit. Yeah. Bombers around there a little bit. That was his Yofa bucket. And, uh, yeah, I yeah, know I, you, you, you remember playing against these guys, but I mean, at that level, like I wasn't fighting anybody. I mean, no, I no, just, no. I knew my role. I knew my role at that time. So, you know, you bump and grind with these guys in the corner, but, but they knew too, they weren't going to like. Those guys knew, like, to grab me and beat the shit out of me at that point in time wasn't going to do them any good. So they, they just played the game, left you alone. And it was hard nose. Um, like, Burns was the coach then when I was there. So yeah. it was it was some hard practices. It was it was pretty intense and, and pretty high-level stuff that really opened my eyes to it, that's for sure. 
And then that was my first year, and I actually got <clears throat> my very first year, and I actually got hurt in camp quite bad. I, I actually really buggered up my neck. I actually went back to surf current for about three or four months to rehab. I was in I was in bad shape, and I got my neck better. And then I actually went back and played in the East Coast League. And then the following year, I trained a ton and I got in really, really, really good shape, and went back down because I was like, I don't want to play in the East Coast anymore. So I went down and I. I uh, went to Bruins camp at a really good camp and I was actually, I actually, I mean, in my own mind, maybe thought I had a chance to stick around for, for, for a few games to get a chance to play. But, but back then, I'm even sure it's the way it is now. There was guys they had like that. <clears throat> they drafted quite high. They're paying a lot of money to that. I, I a guy like me just wasn't going to get a chance at that point in time. Right. So I never even got a chance, but I went out of the American league and Peter Laviolette was down there. He was a coach at the time. Yeah, he was a good guy. I mean, he gave me the opportunity, and and I took it. And I I played really well down there. I scrapped down there and and uh, played well, put up some points, played really good defensively, and and I made the team. It was uh it was pretty cool. I remember making the starting lineup. We went to the Rock actually and played played there. And I remember we played. And had a good weekend, a goal or two, and a couple assists. Maybe played good D. And I remember flying in early in the morning on 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 Sunday or Monday whenever we got back and get back in there and get off the bus. The bus pulls like the way the rink was, the bus would pull right down into the rink in Providence, Rhode Island. So it pulled right in there. And I remember getting off the bus and I was like one of the last guys off the bus. And I get off and Lavi and that's like, Hey, Belter in my office. And I thought I was getting cut. I just did. I was like, fuck, I'm going back to the coast. God damn it. And I walk in there and the, our captain and two assistants are in there at the time. They're all kind of smiling. Like if they knew what was going on. Cause I was like probably the one of the only guys that like had no business maybe being there. And he was just like the, the words you want to hear, find an apartment. Right. Yep. So I was like, Oh yes. Like you knew you made the team. So that was pretty awesome. Right. I put playing in the American league. I really enjoyed it. It was a great season down there and, uh, learned a lot. I actually, I actually got the call. Uh, I tell everybody this. I, I got hit from behind the night before and I split a tendon in my wrist and I needed surgery for it. Like I couldn't flex my wrist. It was weird, weird injury. I just kind of got hit from behind and went in the boards funny. And I was like, frick, you gotta be kidding me. And then like that night or then that night I'd been playing really good. That night I got called up to go up and I couldn't go. Cause I'd like buggered up my wrist. Oh. So they say you get one shot and that was my shot. And I just never, I couldn't, I couldn't go. Cause I buggered up my wrist that night. It was just, wasn't in the cards for me. So kind of unfortunate but when you were in boston uh did you play any preseason games no no never even got a chance to do that that was one of my things like i said i i really thought i should have i should have got a chance i thought i'd played well enough to deserve that and and i think i proved that by going down and making the american league club when i had no business probably being there and uh but yeah i just never i never got the chance they're paying too many guys too much money and uh pigeon like me just I just probably wasn't like outstanding enough to get a chance, so I just I never did, never got a never got a chance to play. Um, well, and of course, uh, this obviously being uh, an enforcer based podcasting, as I always say, um, I know we got to get past the East Coast League, but I got to ask you because you go down to Grenville and you're with the Growl there, ninety eight, ninety nine, East Coast League, uh, easy come, hard to leave, as they say. Uh, yeah, you got some uh, some. Two of your teammates, uh, Jason Hamilton, and then I yeah. got, and then I got to ask you about LP Charbonneau. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I remember both those guys. Yeah, yeah, both pretty tough guys. I mean, Charbonneau was—he was like so French. Yeah, 
like so French. You can like barely understand him when he would speak English to you. Like it reminds you of like Slapshot when the goalie's like, what's he say to me now? Like that's how he talked. It was crazy. But yeah, both pretty tough guys. Hammy was probably, Hammy was probably tougher. Like he was like just a big, thick dude, right? Like he, uh, but he was, he wasn't very good. Like he was just a bad hockey player, but he could chuck him. Like he was tough, but we were kind of getting in and we were terrible. Like we, our average freaking age in that team was like 21. Like we were young and like, I mean, not to go off the rails with your Hamilton story, but I mean, yes, Hammy was tough and man, he split some guys open, but the the best part about Greenville. And I mean, the funniest part about Greenville was when we went down there, it was brand new. So we're in South Carolina, right? This is, you know, college football, basketball, baseball country. That's where we're at. Like these people don't have a clue what hockey is, not a freaking clue. So they're setting this team up down there. We're coming with professional hockey players. So what do they do? Like, freaking 14 cheerleaders. All these, like, blonde 20-year-old cheerleaders. Well, by the end of the first year, I swear, I always tell us, I say half, there wasn't that many. Well, I bet you a quarter of them were pregnant, and I, this is no joke, by the guys on the team and I know one guy is like still married to one of them now, but it was like after that first year, they're like, that's it. No more cheerleaders. <laughs> this is not happening anymore. And that was it. They shut the cheerleader thing down. So I don't know if Hammy was part of that or not, but yeah, a couple super tough guys. Charbonneau, I don't remember him maybe as much as I do Hammy, but I don't know. Was he, I don't know if he was there for the whole year. No, he wasn't. He got traded there at the end, but um, I yeah. think pretty. I mean, not a bad place in the winter, though. To be, I mean, you're, I mean, you're going to Jacksonville, awesome. Augusta, Florida, Miami. I mean, you know, I was gonna say it'd be nice not. Dude, I lived like plug the car in and scrape. I live like on a. I lived on a Nike Tour golf course. Like the ninth fairway was my backyard. Oh, there you go. It was unbelievable, man. Like my parents come down one weekend for like a family weekend they had. And they flew the parents in, which is like super cool of them to do that. I don't know if it was Boston that did that or whatnot, but they flew the families down and it snowed. Like, I'm not kidding you, it snowed and it snowed like a centimeter and it stayed like for about three hours. That whole freaking city shut down like the world had ended. Yep. It was crazy. My dad's like out ripping around, like, what in the hell is going on here? And I had a little car down there and we bombed around. But yeah, it, it was crazy. Like it's, it was insane. And like I say, I'm a, I'm a big, big, big fisherman. So I had a pole and some hooks and like every little pond I'd pass on the interstate or wherever I want, I'd always stop and go and chuck some lures in there and try to catch bass and stuff. And there's usually bass everywhere. And, uh, but everything was private down there, right? For the most part. So, I got in with a few guys um, that I met that had like private ponds and shit that I just had free access to and I could go and fish and do whatever I wanted. So it was good. Yeah, I played hockey and fished and golfed and, and that's all we did. And it was it was fantastic. Like what a what a place to be when you're 20, 21 years old. It was just awesome. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I've had a couple guys in the show and they were playing in the East Coast League. And yeah, they were down in like, yeah, like you said, down in Florida or New Orleans when they had a team. And they're like, why am I leaving? Oh, yeah. Like, this is great. And like, yeah. they're like, I'm never making the NHL. And so it's like, I'm not going to go up, up north and go around New York and stuff. Cause that's where you get obviously the call ups are going to happen. But they're just like, they were having too much fun down there. They're just like, nah, I'm good. You know, whatever. Most of the time they end up, you know, marrying a girl from down there. Most of them still stay down there. Cause it's like, whatever. Yeah. 
pretty tough to beat Florida in the winter. So, oh yeah, 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 it was a pretty awesome place to be. Well, you played the fifty-four games there, and then, the, like you said, the following year you make Providence. Um, you were talking about the AHL to the NHL. What's the difference between the East Coast up to the American League? I think it's probably probably the same thing, right? It was just a little bit faster, and the decision making was a little bit quicker. And guys are bigger and stronger, right? Yeah, you know that that was the biggest difference. I mean, the coast was the coast was more comparable to the Western Hockey League, and yeah. then you'd go up you'd go up a level, right? Where guys would be you know a little bit more skilled, a little bit faster, a little bit quicker. But it's all a lot of it hinges on that decision making, right? Where the just the the plays and all that stuff that had to be. You just had to execute a little bit quicker because guys were coming. They were coming faster, right? Yeah. Well, on your Providence team, I, there's a couple teammates, obviously, I have to ask you about. Um, hey, we'll start with the old uh, WHL boy who likes to always say he was drafted in front of Vincent LeCavalier, uh was Jay Henderson. Yeah. Yeah, good guy. Jay was a great guy. I uh, I, I played, played with him, spent a lot of time with him, uh, hanging out. Drank a lot of beers with him, and uh, Jay was a good guy. Tough, right? He was yep. he, for, for for the size of him. He was a pretty tough character too. Jay was uh, he could chuck him pretty good, and he was not a big guy. Yeah, and for anybody wondering, like, what am I talking about? Vicavale went first. Well, Henderson was the last pick in the draft the year before. That's why he always says he was taken yeah. in front of Lecavale. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, another guy speaking had a really famous brother, um, and he actually wrote a really good book. Sean Pronger. Well, I love playing with him. Uh, great guy, great human being. I'll, I'll say, I uh, he was salt of the earth. Like he, he was just a good dude. Um, you know, play, playing with him and and another guy. Obviously, Kevin Kaminsky was down there too. Killer, yeah. Uh, another great guy. Um, both those guys, they, they did a lot for me personally. I'll say, just you know, teaching me how to, you know, show show respect and and be a good person more than than uh, than, than the game. Maybe if that makes sense, I think a lot of guys and even myself at that time being that age, I got wrapped up in the, you know, hockey player atmosphere where those guys were, you know, especially, um, Sean was, was very educated, right? He'd come from college and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, they taught me, they taught me a lot about the business side. I'm going to say about the game, which, you know, some of it's good and some of it's ugly, but, uh, but Sean was a really good guy. I had a lot of respect for him and, and he was a really good leader. Yes, and for those listening, I, I recommend picking up his book. It's a good book. Um, he tells yeah. some, he tells some good stories in there. Um, well, another guy you talk about tough dude um, with Aaron Downey. What was he like? Downs. You know what? And we talked a little bit earlier about it. Downs was the guy that when I got down there, and he was like, you know, I got into a few little scraps, and he's like, dude, what are you doing, like? here's how you got to fight. Here's the technical, like you said, like, how did you get ready for them? Well, he would, he knew he was doing that every day. He would like physically and mentally like practice and prepare. Like he knew he was going to do that. And he taught me a lot about scrapping and stuff, probably a little too late in my life. Cause I just didn't want to do it at the time. But he's like, well, if you get into one or if you get into, you know, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to watch for this. You got to watch for that. He was a super technical guy. Um, big into boxing. He did a lot of sparring, did a lot of boxing, but he was one of those guys that I'm sure you've had guys on that talk about it. He loved it. Yeah. Like he loved fighting where, you know, you know, a lot of guys are like, man, I just did it cause I had to, or I didn't love it, but he loved every second of it. 
he was just that guy. He lived for it. He knew that was his job. He knew that's how he was going to make his money. And he did it well. And I mean, let's be honest, a guy like that, he had a really good NHL career doing it. Yep. Stanley Cup champion. You know, so, and Downs was a good guy. You know, Downs was a good guy. I, I typically will compare him to Killer, like to, to Purrington. Um, but Downs maybe had a little bit more personality, a little bit more ha-ha in him than, than Dale did. Um, but tough as nails and built like a, he was just built like a brick shit house. Yeah, well, like he was, yeah, he's still training guys, and yeah, he uh, he's a real big, obviously, fitness dude, and yeah, tough man. Yeah. It's funny, as, as I was looking through that Providence roster, I mean, your ro- the roster's like, you had guys in and out all year, but man, there was some tough dudes that came in, like, they might have been there for a minute, but it's like, Ken Tasker, Eric Cairns, Matt Van Horlock, Alexi Uden, uh, Jezolowski, it's like, yeah. Oh, I remember Jezelowski. Yeah, I remember him coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we had a had a good squad that year. Really, we had a good team, and uh, yeah, a few tough guys in and out of there. But all in all, you know, we had a we had a solid squad down there. I mean, um, you know, I always uh, uh, Graham. I can't remember. He was our goalie at the time. And you want to talk about some crazy stuff and some crazy stories, John Graham. And he played in the show, played in Tampa, played in Boston a little bit, but. You want to talk about? I say goalies are crazy. Goalies are weird. They're different. This guy was off the rails. Uh, yeah. Well, and like, like you said, in the American League, I mean, obviously, you know, in, in that time time period again, um, Hartford and Portland. I mean, you know, you got tough guys, and then you know, you go up to uh, what was it like playing in Philly and the Phantoms with those with those guys in the old Spectrum? It was good. I mean, tough dudes, right? Like the, I think Vandermeer was there at the time, and. And, uh, Francis Lassard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was always tough. You had to have your head up all the time. Um, I, I always found, like, for the most part, I found the East Coast to be maybe a little bit more, I'll say, like, cheap shot, disrespectful type stuff, where I found the American League was more of, do you want to go? No? Okay. <laughs> you know, it was like one of those things where it was, there was a lot more respect maybe in the game. Um, everybody respected the level they were at and, and, and maybe the dollar figure some of those guys were making, but, uh, but still tough. I mean, you had, uh, the hits were, you got hit, <laughs> you take, you get run over, you get hit into those boards. It wasn't like you're getting hit by a, you know, a, a five foot, 10, 165 pound guy. I mean, it was like, <clears throat> these guys are six, four, 260 pounds, some of them, right. And they're trying to, yeah. you know, they're trying to knock the glass out of them. It was, it was you had to be physically and mentally ready every night, that's for sure. Yeah, well, like you said, in Philly, I mean, you got McLaren and Francis Lassard there. and then, But just even in your division, right? right? Like Hartford's got P.J. Stock and Virtue and Purrington. And, you know, and then Purrington, Brewster's yeah. got Bluan and Reed Lowe and Willis. And, you know, Springfield, Shane Toporowski and Kevin Sawyer. And it's like, yeah, it's like everywhere you turn. You know, Kentucky's got Garrett. Nowhere to hide. You know, yeah, exactly. Nowhere to hide, man. Yeah, I was... There was battles every night, man. It was it was crazy, but but you had those guys like Burnett and those guys, like you said. But we had like you know we had Downey, we had those guys, like those yeah. guys would do the fighting, right? And it was it was good. I mean, I, I enjoyed it because I go like, I knew I I mean I knew I didn't have to fight, and I was going to fight somebody. I was I was fighting somebody in my own weight class in my own type of league, right? Yeah, those heavies were fighting each other. We knew we'd get to see the show, and it was it was awesome. I mean, even us as players, we looked forward to it. These guys were freaking tough human beings, man. 
Yeah. I think down there it's just, and I've talked about this on the show a bunch of times and, you know, I always like to get obviously the player's perspective on it, but it was just like, and maybe not so much now. I mean, I, I, I don't, it's almost like I, I've said this, that the accountability in the game seems to be really missing or there's not a lot of consequences for your actions anymore, but down there, if you were in 99, 2000 playing for Providence and you were going to start running around, that shit wasn't going to last long or you were going to have to answer for it anyway. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree with you now. I I agree with exactly what you're saying. I've said that even on our show that I find the accountability is out the window nowadays, right? There is no accountability for it. You do whatever you want. No one's going to do anything. I, 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 that's the one, the one thing I hate so much about the game nowadays um, is that, is that thing is you can, you can run around and nobody's going to do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I know you were saying like, yeah, you didn't fight much or when you did, it was, <coughs> pardon me. It was in your weight class and stuff at the same time. Yeah. Like if you were going to go into Hartford and start running their best scorer, Puritan and PJ stock are coming after you. Oh yeah. No yeah matter there was what. none of this. Oh, well he doesn't fight much. So we'll go fight Downey. I mean, they were going to fight Downey anyway, but if you were going to get into it, there was none of this, we'll leave you alone and just yell at you from the bench. Like, no, you were going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, you weren't hiding from it. That's for sure. That, that, that day, day and age, that's for sure. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, the following year, uh, was it, so you play the 51 games in Providence and then all of a sudden you're, I mean, I'm assuming Boston just let you go, but you you end up back in, in the East Coast League with the with Florida. Um, what happened on and what happened? We'll put it that way. Just what happened? You know, my my last in my last year, of my contract and and uh, Armstrong can't remember his first name, but he's he's the GM now in Florida uh, for the Panthers, and he he took over for Laviolette the following year. Lavi went into coaching the show, and he just didn't like me, and. That was it. I mean, he. I played for him the year before. He was a D coach. He seemed good. I thought everything was fine, but he just he fucking just hated me. He just did not like me. And uh, and and that happens a lot, right? Yep. In, in the game, you have a coach that loves you and makes and breaks you, and you have a coach that hates you, and it just it just didn't work out. And uh, they tried to send me down to Arkansas to play on the coast, but I was on a two way deal, <clears throat> so I could I could veto where I went because that like that was considered like down the coast, I was still making East coast money or sorry, uh, American league money. So when I, when they tried to send me to Arkansas, I said, no, the only place I'll go into the coast is Florida. Cause my girlfriend at the time who had been dating for a lot of years from so current was on a full golf scholarship in Miami. So I said, I'll go to Florida. So they sent me to Florida and then, uh, uh, I, don't know, I think it was Brian Ferguson. I can't remember. He was coaching down there and same thing. Me and him were like oil and water. And, uh, I just, I just didn't, I just, didn't play well down there. And uh, halfway through the season, they asked me if they could trade me, and I was like, absolutely. And they traded me to uh, to Trenton um, to play for the Trenton Titans. And that was one of the, that was a really good thing for me, too. I went back up there, and Troy Ward was the coach, and he was, uh, me and him, Troy, Troy liked me, liked my game. We had a really good team. We lost the, we lost the finals that year. And uh, Mike Havlin was uh, his assistant coach. So, you know, it was good. Played in the coast that year, rest that year, and then my contract kind of ended. And I was going to, again, I was going to pack it in and just come home. And uh, Mike Havlin went over to start coaching in Atlantic City in the coast, their new team, and he convinced me. And I got a pretty good, I got a pretty lucrative East Coast deal, I'll say, to go back and play. So 
went back down for one more year uh, to play down there. And then uh, halfway through that year, I uh, I got hurt. Um, I got hurt earlier in the year, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I got hit from behind. It's just such a crazy story. But I got hit from behind. And here, what had happened was, is my stick kind of jammed me right where my diaphragm is and actually, like, tore my diaphragm open. And I was having trouble breathing, and I wasn't feeling good when I'd eaten stuff. Well, here, my stomach was, like, in my chest. I didn't know. And they did a bunch of tests. and like, yeah, you need to have surgery on this thing. But, you know, you can wait till the end of the year. So so I'm playing down there, and I ended up near the end of the year. I mean, lots of injuries, obviously, but ended up buggering up my, my hand or my wrist. I can't remember what it was. I had to have a, a small surgery. It was nothing big. It was like a two-week thing. Let's just fix this. It'll be healed. It's done. Let's get it fixed near the end of the year. So I'm like, okay, so we go in and get it fixed. I'm, I'm rehabbing it. And Mike Havlin at the time, who, I mean, up to this point, me and him have been quite close. I'd, I'd seen him do some pretty shady things to some guys throughout the year. And I, you know, I never thought a ton about it because he kind of left me alone and says to me, you know what, go in and get your stomach surgery done. Um, we're not going to put you on the playoff roster because of your hand. And I was like, well, I said I can play. No, we've kind of made a decision. That's what we're going to do. We don't think you'll be ready, so we're not going to put you on. So go get your stomach fixed and your diaphragm sewed up or whatever they need to do, and then you can play next year. So I go in to get this stomach surgery done, and – it's supposed to be like a laparoscopic surgery. You end up being open. They cut through all my stomach. Anyway, totally freaking screwed me up, and I it ended my career obviously. But during the uh, during the uh, healing process, I, I, I'm I'm in the hospital. No one comes like none of my teammates. I was pretty close with a lot of them. None of them come see me. No one has any interaction. My, my own guy, my own guys I'm living with won't even really talk to me. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Well, I find out later before I head home. Mike Havlin, the coach, and, and, and if anybody knows who he is, I, I, I think he's probably one of the biggest pieces of shit in the game today, but he he was one of those guys. Yeah, he was assistant coach of the Blackhawks when that Chris Beach stuff went down. He won a Stanley Cup there that year. And I tell you right now, I guarantee those guys knew what was going on. Knowing Havlin and the way he was with me and the way I got treated, I guarantee those guys knew what was going on. And that's why that all got swept under the rug. But so – Part of my story was is he had went and told the guys on the team that I decided I didn't want to play in the playoffs, so I went and got the surgery done. Oh. So I couldn't so – totally fucking surgery. Then he wouldn't let me in the dressing room anymore. This was unbelievable. Like, I just got this massive surgery, and I'm like, I want to go back with my team. This is all I know. This is my family, right, because I'm playing away from home a long ways away, and the guys are my brothers, and – they don't want me in the dressing room because he said this. And so he banned me from the dressing room. So literally my dad flew in to Atlantic city, went down to the rink, got all my shit for me, loaded my truck. And we drove back to drove back to Saskatchewan. True story. I'll never forget that. I'll never, never forgive a guy like that. And I, and I mean, that guy, man, I, I said, I wanted to tell that story on the show and it's, I guarantee that Chris beach stuff. They knew all about it. And Yeah. But that's how some of those guys were, man. And a guy like that, one of the biggest pieces of shit I've ever been around in the game. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, like you said, it's, it's greasy. And that's the one thing, right? And, I mean, like you said, you have guys that, um, yeah, you get, you get in a good spot and, you, and, you're, and you're golden. Or other guys, like you said, the one just from year to year, 
you're cruising along in Providence. Next thing you know, the assistant coach becomes the coach. Well, he never liked you, so out the door you go. And it's like, it's hockey's fickle, man. It's 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 so greasy, it's so greasy. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a business, right? It's a lot of people yeah. don't understand playing minor hockey, even even the Western League and stuff. It's like whatever, but once you get past it, you get the pro game, man. It, it is a business. It's a you know, you see the Connor McDavid's, you see the Tavares's, the Austin Matthews on TV, and everyone sees the money and the grits and the glamour and how amazing it is. But you forget about these guys that are up and down in the American League or the guys that are up and down from the coast to the American League. Like, you don't ever see that side of it, right? And it's it's a grind, man. Some of these guys go through a lot of shit, and, and I'm sure a lot of it, you know, is today is still the same way, right? So it's a... Uh, it's a grind. I feel for a lot of these guys and, uh, and they're working hard to try to get to that next level. And, you know, like such a small, small, small percentage of guys are ever going to make it. Oh, absolutely. And like you said, it's like, it's the, yeah, it's the minor league guys that, yeah, away from the glamour of the NHL. But I mean, I've had guy on the show, he got called up in the federal league or from the, from the Southern pro league. And he's playing a few, played a game in the East coast league and he's, and he's leaving. They won't even let him take his track suit. They want him to give the track suit back. And it's just like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, are you shitting me? Like, this is like an NHL uh, farm team, and you you need you need the Under Armour that bad? Like, come on, man. You know, but it's just like know. you know, but it's just the it's the underlining, you know, just the the greasiness of it all. Um, well, that's what I've often said on the show. It's like it's one thing, you know. People, I said to people, I'm like, do you think everyone in the NHL is better than everyone in the American League? It's like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't work like that. I'm like talent level is sometimes yeah. is like the second or third or fourth reason why these guys in the American League. Well, so you go through all that and you know kind of the kind of a real sour taste left in your mouth after you you're you're done playing and you're heading back with their injury after the surgery and um but after your your uh your post hockey career what what have you been up to? And then play a little bit of senior around here and then fussed around and and, and did some working and I got my uh Got my plumbing ticket, and I'm a, I'm a plumber by trade, and uh, yeah, so I did that, and now I got hooked up with a couple of pigeons, and we started our own little podcast we do, and so I got a young family here now. My daughter's my daughter's 10, my son uh, son's 7 here, turning 8 here in April, so, so it's good. They're heavily involved in hockey. We, we basically live at the rink. Tonight's one of the only nights where we're not at the rink, so we're typically there every night, so it's uh, so it's good. Yeah, I live in Regina here now, and uh, and we, we enjoy it. I, Really enjoy taking the kids to the rink and watching them grow up and develop, and uh, and they they love the game just as much as I did. Well, that's awesome, man. And it, it's just, uh, I mean, you, there's I always say there's no looking back with regrets or anything. Like that. That's that's a pointless thing. But if there was anything going back, no. if, if you could go back and talk to seventeen year old Shane, what would you tell him to change if there is anything? I would I would probably just tell myself the same thing I said before is that you, you you're not going to get another chance just just leave it all out there right like just I, I just maybe feel like sometimes maybe I didn't leave it all out there all the time I you know held back a notch here a notch there and think ah, I'll do it next time or do it. just do it all give it every single ounce you got if that's what you want to do because you're not going to get another chance that's uh, and that's one of, like I say, that's one of the things I do want to be able to teach my kids is that, hey, I've been there, I made this mistake, don't make this mistake. Don't don't make the mistake that I did. Just, just leave it all out on the ice all the time. Absolutely. Well, and like you said, your show, the Monday Nooner, what, how, uh, how, how's the show going for you guys overall? What, as, a, as a fellow podcaster, what, uh, how, how many episodes are you guys into now? 
You know what, man? I think we're doing about a hundred. We're up in that hundred and forty-five range episode. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's fun. You know, I mean, on that show again, I'm just a pigeon. I'm I'm kind of there for boss to make fun of, and and me and him kind of jap around, and and Barney's a little bit more serious. Those guys have been in the those guys have been in the the radio game for a long time, so they kind of they kind of lead the way, and I just kind of joke around and take shots at them here, there, and everywhere, and we make some. Uh, Make some jokes. Boz likes to make fun of my English. Doesn't think I speak English very well, but other than that, uh, we have a good time. We've had some great, great guests, great people on. Uh, got some really, uh, really great Saskatchewan-based uh, businesses that support us, and we try to keep things super local. And uh, it's it's been really good for us. Uh, the senior hockey game is alive and well in Saskatchewan, and I don't see that uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think we've really brought a a limelight or a spotlight to it, and uh, we're we're definitely help helping to uh, to grow the the popularity of it here here in Saskatchewan, Western Canada. Yeah, you guys are, and I know I've seen the video you guys put out, and I mean you're always uh, and yeah, Saskatch- how many like I think people for like people don't realize like the province is so big. How many senior leagues are there in Saskatchewan? It's got to be four or five, six. What is Bob? Oh, yeah, oh, there's t- there's tons. Bob Bob says there's like. 100 and some teams now in, 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 you know, Saskatchewan, Western Canada. There's 100 and some teams. I don't even know how many leagues. We, he always jokes about it. Nine leagues, 100 and some teams or something is his, is his joke all the time. Like, legit, over 100 teams Unreal. in senior hockey. So it's alive and well. And, and you know what? It, these small towns thrive on it. Yep. It's, it's awesome. We're, 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 we're glad that we can bring a product to people of Saskatchewan that they got something to listen to. And, and, and guys like it. They hear their name. We talk about them on our senior show, and their buddies listen, and, and they can jab back at us and tell us we're idiots and we're stupid when we pick this team and that team. And it's, it's fun. It's good japping. It, it brings the local, um, the local guys out, and they want to listen. They want to engage with it. So it's just been, it's been really good for us. It's really been really good for the game, especially around here. Well, and like you said, and the thing with senior hockey is, folks, listen, uh, we're not talking wreck. Like it's not like oh, no shoulder no. pads and no raises. Oh uh, no, no, this no, is it's high level. Yeah, and these dudes are going for it. There's no fooling around. Yeah, they got to go to work the next. Some day. of these, yeah, some of these teams, man. I'm telling you, like some of these teams could could easily beat some East Coast League teams, and that's no bullshit. Like they could maybe. I mean, it might be a stretch me saying this, but I, I, even some they could probably even get some American League teams to run. I don't know if they beat them, but you never know, man. There's some there are some really good teams, and and I mean, I play a little bit of farting around hockey. That's all I kind of do. And we've had a couple senior guys uh, come out and play in our in our BS leagues, farting around stuff, and like they're just absolutely unbelievable how fast and good they are. It's just like holy shit. These guys can play the game. Like a lot of these guys, man, they just quit playing pro, right? Like they could easily yeah. go back and play pro. There's guys that there's guys that do. They sign contracts out of the out of the senior leagues, and they're going back and they're playing in Europe or they're playing in the East Coast League, and then sometimes getting called up to American League. I mean, it's it's no joke. If if anybody thinks it's a joke, they're on crack. This is some really good high level hockey. Yeah, and I mean, and of course, the senior the Allen Cup is obviously like the Stanley Cup of senior hockey in Canada. I mean, I think the Allen Cup's been around longer than the Stanley Cup. Um, are there still teams in Saskatchewan? I mean, obviously, I would think there's some teams that still go for it. Is uh, yeah, you know. I think 
I think that Allen Cup's kind of been put on hold. I know, I, I think the, they haven't had a lot of interest in it, and yeah. it's been it's been kind of tough to get something going with that. And I always joke with, with Brandon and Barry that we should be setting up something and making it the Nooner Cup and and uh, and hosting some teams. We'd like to take the 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 league champs of every league and bring them all in and have like a Nooner Cup for the like the the, the Saskatchewan champs. So we're still kicking that idea around. I know a lot of people like to see that. So we're gonna see if the going to see if the uh, stars align and we can maybe set something like that uh, up here in the in the coming years. That that is an awesome idea actually. That's uh that kind of a whole like senior cup senior memorial cup kind of deal. That would be exactly. that yeah, pretty exactly. sweet, man. Yeah, that's uh Yeah, it would be good. Yeah, absolutely. Get have to get behind that wholeheartedly. That would be a great idea. But uh well, Shane, yeah. I know I've I've kept you long enough. Um I really appreciate you taking the time to uh to come on the show. Everybody out there, check out Shane on the morning on the uh, Monday nooner. And uh thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. It was great. Love reliving the memories. It was fun. Thanks, Shane. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 